Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Scorpio Sky, and you are listening to the Keeping It Strong Style Podcast, and it is the best. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review nights two through five of World Tag League and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo. Young boy, you have a good uh, Thanksgiving, man. Oh yeah. Um, We did a non-traditional Thanksgiving brunch which, you know, I think apparently my girlfriend thinks brunch just means lunch at like 11 uh, <laughs> or not lunch breakfast. Like, because uh, I was making some suggestions to make it brunchier. And she's like, oh, that stuff that you're suggesting is not breakfast food. And I was like, do you think that brunch is just breakfast but late? And she's like, yes. <laughs> I was like, that's not that's not what it is. I was like, it's a combination of, of breakfast and lunch. And she's like, breakfast food is better. I'm like, all right. Then, then you just having a, a late breakfast, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we had a lot of food. Hung out, watched a little Survivor series, watched a little war games, and uh, then we went and watched Napoleon for like almost three hours, which was pretty good. Um, so yeah, all in all, a good Thanksgiving. And then I don't know, I was tired. I went, we went to bed like at eight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. That was yours, man. Yeah, ours was pretty good. Uh, went over to my in-laws' house. We had a uh, Thanksgiving there. My family was out of town, so yeah, I hung out with the in-laws, ate there, got plenty of food, got plenty of leftovers, played some games, and then you know I was off for the week. So, uh, wife and I we uh, binged all three seasons of Ted Lasso. 
uh, pretty good show. Mm. Oh, you're on that uh, that Apple TV life. Well, I just I got the uh, I got a free trial, and people have been putting over Ted Lasso everywhere in my life. So I'm like, you know what? I'll give it a try, do the food trial, and I'll check it out. And yeah, it was a pretty good show. Yeah, I don't have Apple TV, so I've never watched that. So thanks. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Uh, well, we do have some uh, sad news for you guys. Uh, we did originally uh, plan to have Walker Stewart on the show this evening. With an interview, uh, but literally minutes before we're about to go live, uh, Mr. Nielsen let us know that he wasn't feeling well and we uh, need to reschedule. So, you know, our thoughts out and prayers out to Walker. Hope that he feels better soon. I know he's been kind of uh, dealing with some stuff on and off. So, yeah, hoping he will feel better. And, yeah, we will uh, plan to get him back on here as soon as possible. I'm not sure why, because the only reason I wanted Walker to come on was so we could say we were the first ones to ever interview him. But he already... He already did an interview with Feifel today. I mean, I don't really see the point at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Um, yeah, um, it's very unfortunate that he's not feeling good, and uh, we wish him a you know speedy recovery and hope to have him on soon, hopefully in the next couple weeks, because uh, you know we're gearing up for dome season. I'd like to get his hot takes. That's right. You know, it's the, the most wonderful time of the year, Wrestle Kingdom season. Uh, yeah, we're um, almost a month away. Uh, from Wrestle Kingdom 18. But in all seriousness, you guys could probably go to Fightful and listen to the interview they did, and then that, and then you don't even have to listen to our show next week. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how this works. <laughs> I mean, all we're going to be talking about is, you know, the World Tag League, so. Well, you know, World Tag League is a big draw, man. <laughs> is it? Um, it's been okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we should jump into it. So well, well, before we do that real quick, we, oh, we, 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 <laughs> we did get a new review uh, for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this time it says this podcast used to be good, but now it's great. Love from your friends at the Super J cast, giving it a five stars. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> That was to, uh, to, to counteract the, uh, you know, uh, Ricky Knight Jr.'s uh, review of used mm. to be good, but not good anymore. I was like, why Why would they write something worded that way? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, did you ever you ever watch uh, Arrested Development? No. They had, a, they had a doctor who would always say something that was positive, but like it would be like whatever he said, it sounded the opposite of what it actually was. And he'd be like, yeah, he's going to be all right. And they're like, oh, that's fantastic news. And he's like, really? You're taking that a lot better than I thought you you would. And they're like, what? And then the guy comes out and his left hand is cut off. And he's like, like I said, he's going to be all right from now on. <laughs> so every time he says something, it's like the total opposite. Like, So the way they, they like phrase that, it's like, used to be good, but now they're great. I didn't know what it was in reference to. <laughs> Yeah, reference to that that one review that we got. Yeah, it used to be what was it? it used to be good, not anymore though. <laughs> so, I don't even pay attention to the reviews because I don't really give a fuck. Just send us money. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, Christmas time is coming up. <laughs> well, shout out, uh, Joel Damon. Thanks for that uh, kind review, helping us get the the ratings and reviews up there on Apple Podcasts. Uh, so yeah, appreciate that. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you haven't listened to the Super J cast, another great New Japan centric podcast. And, uh, you know, they're kind of like us, but they got a lot more dick jokes. Pretty good. Yep. So uh, let's now jump into World Tag League. Uh, was there, did you, there a point you wanted to make before we jumped into the, the rankings? I was just going to talk about the, um, I have a lozenge in my, my throat. I'm not feeling the best either. <laughs> I put it in my mouth when you started talking because I thought that you were going <laughs> to talk a lot longer. <laughs> well, I know and I, I didn't expect you to like kick it back to me so soon. <laughs> well, I know I cut you off earlier to, for the review, so I just wanted to make sure I didn't know if there was a point that you were going to try and make before we uh, jumped into everything. No, it's okay. I'm just uh, battling the elements, trying to... Uh, Keep my health in check. <laughs> yeah, I woke up sick this morning, and uh, yeah, I'm still here doing the show. Um, hopefully, it doesn't get worse before FOH this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, yeah. So the the World Tag League has been very interesting because there's been a lot of developments um, from like a you know kind of like a isolated uh, storyline standpoint for several of the teams and overall i think this is about as good a world tag league we've seen so far in the past five or six years um it's about as good as you could hope for any house show style tour to be taking place because make no mistake about it i haven't seen any like really great blow away matches or anything super memorable but there been there's been a lot of nuance, a lot of storyline progression. The 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 quality of the matches has been pretty good, especially the main events each night. But because it's in such rapid succession, night after night after night, like this week we're we're reviewing five shows. I'm losing track of what even is happening show to show, match to match. We're like we have to do a review now, and I'm like, what the fuck happened? And like I I can keep track of it in real time but then like the next day it's like my memory gets wiped it's hard to uh you know kind of remember everything i wanted to say about each of these teams yeah it all does kind of blend together and even as i'm like watching shows trying to keep up like i'll start watching what like wait did i watch this already i'm like no 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 no. right (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so yeah it's been a, a good world tag league i think you know, I think a lot of the matches are kind of being hurt by the atmosphere. A lot of these shows are in some of those kind of, you know, random gyms that we never <laughs> remember the name of. Um, pretty light houses, and, and those crowds are usually typically just quieter. Um, so you're, you're having some really good matches. These guys are putting out some effort, but they're just not getting any response, any reaction. So that hurts, uh, you know, the enjoyment of the match and the overall, uh, you know, just quality of the match with a little fan engagement. Yeah, I, I think the crowd's been okay. Um, some nights have been better than others, but yeah, it's I I understand why they're it's formatted the way it is because it's just because they've got a lot to run through in a very short succession, and you know they want to make sure they that they expanded the field for this year's tournament but yeah it's it's tough it's a little bit it's not a tough watch like it's enjoyable and if you're just watching like for for me i'm watching all all the matches but i've noticed that even if you're just watching the tag league stuff it's it's a pretty short watch it's just 
trying to remember for some reason even like when you watch a super juniors that's formatted similarly it's a little bit easier to keep track because you've only got so many guys but like you're doubling that here you know right yeah and you know for most of the stuff i've mainly been watching just the tournament matches and yeah it's been super easy you know five tournament matches they're all usually pretty quick and you can get through that uh pretty quickly if you just want to cherry pick and watch the tournament stuff uh, so yeah overall good matches but yeah nothing is you know blow away match of the year like so far i, I don't see any like tag match of the year contenders for uh next year's ballot uh, but yeah and i haven't heard too much uh you know too much buzz of anybody pointing out any particular match that they're gung-ho about either yeah so uh, let's walk through these teams here, and then we'll talk about the matches they had and just kind of our overall thoughts on how they've been doing the tournament thus far. Uh, so first up, we'll start in the A block. On top of the block, we have the TMDK team of Hysterical Shane Haste and Mad Mikey Nichols. They are currently 3-0 and with 6 points, so on night 3, they defeated the House of Torture team of Evil and Yujiro Takahashi. Night 5, they defeated the United Empire team of Great Okan and Hanare. And so, yeah, so those were the two matches they had there. And we had a question from Barry Walsh. How good is Shane Hayes? He has size, power moves, can kick, and can leave his feet well, too, and decent promos showing he's actually funny as well. Is there a guy, if there is a Gaijin Exodus coming, could he fill a role as a singles wrestler? Um, yeah, I mean, to answer that question, I, I definitely think that hypothetically, if they wanted to utilize Shane Haste in a singles type capacity, there's potential there for sure. I don't know if that's what they'll want to do from a creative standpoint or not, but I mean, the door's obviously open for something like that to potentially take place. Yeah, I think Shane Hayes is really, really good. And I think a lot of that did kind of shine uh, towards the, the end of his NXT run when he was there um, by himself. And then we've seen him on, on the Largo loop a ton as well, teaming with Nichols and in single stuff. And I, I think he's always been really good. Yeah, he's very charismatic. And I think, you know, if guys are, you know, obviously, you know, we know Osprey's gone. If, if Sabre leaves, if any of these other uh, foreigners leave. I think he's definitely a guy that you could try and push up. Um, but I also think he's very good here in, in a role as a tag team with Nichols. I've got the best idea. January 4th, 2024, Naito beats Sonata, and just before the golden roll call, all of a sudden, <laughs> Shane Haste comes out, jumps this man, sits cross-legged on his chest, <laughs> and holds up the belt and says, Remember, I beat you in the G1 this past year. I'm here to collect my debt. And then he wants a title shot. We don't get the golden roll call. We have to push it off another two years. Mm. <laughs> the uh, LIJ fans might burn the dome, dome down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been a little, I haven't been surprised by the quality of uh, TMDK's matches. They're always very good. Um, I have been a little surprised that they're 3-0 and at this point. I do expect them to probably take a loss or so here in the near future just because that's the nature of the tournament but um a little surprised not because they they don't have a strong standing within the tag division they definitely do but because of the fact that they've had so many failed title defense or uh title shots this past year 
I I do see them as being a team that's a candidate to go far in the tournament, but maybe not one to win just based on their track record with failing at winning the IWGP titles. So I'm a little surprised that they are 3-0 at this point. Yeah, I'm not really compelled by the possibilities of another TMDK versus Bishamon match since they've already you know lost to them you know two three times already this year. Um, so yeah, I, I can see them being potentially maybe you want to put them in a semifinals because they are a, a solid established veteran team that that you can use them to put somebody over in the semifinals to get to the finals, or, or maybe they end up getting spoiled before they even get to the semis. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't. I I see them losing. A lot more matches in the next coming week. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I I think Tim DK probably should have already won the IWGP Tag Team Titles at this point, and I think, and I'm hopeful that that's still in their future. I just think, from a timing standpoint, this isn't their tournament. Yeah, I would definitely wait next year. You know, whoever I'm, I'm assuming Bishamon's probably going to lose the title at the Dome. Whoever beats Bishamon, maybe. Sometime in the first quarter, second quarter of the year, you, you can do a matchup with them against TMDK, and that would be a good chance to give them a run. Because like I said, yeah, they're a great tag team, and I think they do deserve to be uh, IWGP tag champs at some point in this current run with New Japan. But yeah, just the timing right now and the fact that they've already had you know, a bunch of title matches this year and failed, it, it just wouldn't be yeah, super compelling for these guys to win the World Tag League. Yep, strong run for, for uh, Team DK. Lots of main events so far, so doing really well. Yeah, they've been really uh, putting over their uh, Tank Buster finisher on commentary. The, they won both matches here with that. They did a, a super Tank Buster on uh, Night 5 on uh, Great Ocon to uh, get the win there. So really kind of solidifying their, their tag moves. And yeah, really strong in, on top of the block here. So then the, the next team, we have the Musketeers of Shota Umino and Oren Narita. They are 2-1 and one with four points on night three. They lost to the Bullet Club War Dogs of Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd. And then on night five, they bounced back by defeating uh, the Gates of Agony, Bishop Khan and Toa Leona from AEW. Yeah, um, they've got new t-shirts out uh, that say Shooter X Son of Strong Style. I think those are pretty sweet, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally got around to watching the Shota Umino Renarita Fireside chat uh, that was posted by NJPW on YouTube. It's also on uh, uh, New Japan World. I would recommend for the English-speaking audience to watch this on YouTube with the translations because that's the only way we'd probably be able to understand it. But uh, have you watched this, Jeremy? I haven't watched the whole thing. I've only seen a lot of like, the screen captures and uh, people like posting clips. I know they... Uh, talked about um, Narita almost quitting and Umino having to like you know get him to not quit and talking about how that they, they love each other and they can be spouses for each other and all, all kinds of stuff. Bro, yeah, like for real though, they they really were saying all that. I mean, I don't know how much you can a hundred percent trust like a, a computer generated YouTube translation, but I mean, the gist of it from what I was gathering is like these two are extremely extremely close. Uh, you know, and um, this would be like the opposite of what people categorize as like toxic masculinity. Like this is like two dudes who are very comfortable with themselves and willing to just put each other over in, you know, like platonic love type of 
uh, language, maybe not even platonic, hard to tell, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like basically like at one point they were talking about how they both, you know, they debuted at, on the same day or they both date, uh, had their tryouts at the same time. They're the same age. Um, when Ren Rita finally made it, uh, because they were supposed to debut on the same day, but, uh, Ren Rita got injured and Shoto Mino, uh, debuted first. Then months later, Ren Narita makes his debut against Shota Umino, who's already kind of his like senior, but they're wrestling to draws. So even though it's like there, there's a gap there, you know, they're they're kind of equals and everything like that. And that they consider one another each other's like main rival, but also like companion. <laughs> and and like uh talking about like how it, I don't know if, if you guys have ever watched like uh, the anime Hajime no Ippo and the way that like uh, Ippo's character is with, uh, I forget the character's name. I think it's Miata or, or whatever, but the, the guy that he first fights at the beginning of the series, there's like a love relationship slash rivalry, like kind of all there. And yeah, these guys joked about like how they could be each other's like a, uh, uh, spouses because they they're like very good uh partners for one another um it's just very interesting to hear like young up-and-coming wrestlers that are like so like heated and and you know ambitious but also willing to put each other over to a high degree mm-hmm. um i even listened to a few podcasts this week you know and i'm hearing people talk about like red narita being boring and needing you know to mix things up and not having enough like color and personality but like if you watch i i dare anybody who watches this to come away not feeling deeply like uh what's the word like invested into the plight of these two characters this is the kind of like stuff that new japan should really be hyping up better putting it more into the forefront and investing their time into because it gets you invested into the actual characters and their backgrounds they talk about like renarita's a city guy or uh renarita's like from the from the country and shota umino grew up in tokyo and they're like diametrically opposed in almost every way but they're like you know very they they get along so well that they like make perfect partners and rivals for one another and they've got all these goals that they each have set out in terms of like making it to the top together, but also being better than the other one and being like the ace. And like, this is the stuff that generational rivalries are like made out of. And their goals are basically, they want to win this tournament. They want to win the, become the hundredth IWGP champions. They want to defend those titles against Tanahashi and Okada. And they want to wrestle each other at Wrestle Kingdom for the IWGP world heavyweight title. And I'm like, (laughs) Let's yeah, this go. shit's awesome. <laughs> like, let's do all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more invested after watching that entire thing um, in them as a team, in them as individuals, and to see, like, where this, you know, story goes long term. The, the, the closest thing I can even point to where I recall, like, two, two tag team partners seeming this, like, affectionate, but also, um, you know, competitive is, like, the Golden Lovers. Yeah, so I was gonna say, yeah, it definitely reminds me yeah, of Kenny and uh, and Abushi and just kind of yeah, their love for each other, uh, being a great team, but at time knowing that they they had to be rivals and face each other one on one, and so yeah, I think they have the chance here to really kind of uh, establish 
you know, something very similar here with uh, Narita and Umino and kind of create these lifelong tag partners slash rivals that, yeah, you know, you can throw them in a tag league, you can, they can challenge for a tag title and, and you'll have great matches. And then you can put them against each other in a G1 block in a Tokyo Dome main event and it'll, it'll also be great. Yeah, they talked also about when you mentioned um, Red Narita almost quitting the business. Like he was, they at one point he thought he was going to try and pursue being a culinary chef. Yeah, <laughs> and like Shota Umino had to like point out to him that like it takes two years of actual like restaurant experience to even like be considered for that. And he's like, I've been making chonko in the gym for two years. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I make the best chonko of anybody in the gym. And he's like, you're just putting vegetables in, in, a, in a pot, you idiot. He's like, that does not qualify you to be a chef. Uh, so that, that was pretty funny. And then they also talked about, like, they they see each other in very different ways. Like, you know, on the one hand, Renderita is looking at where Shota is in the main events that he's having and the top, top spots he's been, you know, given. And, like, that's what he's chasing. And on the other hand, Shota Umino is like, yeah, I've failed in all those spots, but like already, um, uh, Renderita's already held a title in New Japan at this point, you know. So he's like, I've I haven't successfully won any titles, so I'm kind of chasing him. He's actually ahead of me, and so they both envision the other one ahead of each other, and then they're both looking at like uh, Suji, and they're like, yeah, this guy's under us. But he's acting like he's above us, and he's not above. <laughs> like he hasn't accomplished anything yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so that whole thing is very interesting. Yeah, and I think that also ha- plays out to what's been happening in their tag matches. Like a lot of time in these in these past two matches here, there's been times where either guy is like in trouble, and the other guy literally has to like kind of sacrifice themselves to save their partner to try and save the match. Like thinking back to like the gates of agony match, like towards the end of that match, like they are just, they were wrecking Umino and hitting all their mm-hmm. big moves. They, they, they opened the gates on Umino, but then like Narita had to like come in towards the end. Like he would put his body in the way, take moves and like really sacrifice himself to uh, allow Umino to come back and, and get the win. Yeah. I've noticed that a lot of their matches have kind of been structured that way during, during that same video. And this last time I'll mention it, they also talked about how they have this chemistry working together because they've worked for so many years in the gym that they don't even like lay out matches or anything like, or the way they put it in kayfabe, they don't game plan. They don't have a structure of what they want to do. They just go out there and they just work off of each other because they know how the other one works essentially. And Mm -hmm. maybe, good maybe that's bad i think the matches they've been having have been uh pretty good i i thought them versus uh the war dogs mm-hmm. stood out as a, as a really really good match yeah dude, uh, that, that match with the war dogs that was awesome i would definitely say people if you you know if you're cherry picking definitely watch this one uh, i love that they attacked umino you know in the middle of the crowd he's you know he's doing his whole you yeah. know john moxley entrance thing and they're like nah we go <laughs> we're gonna run it up here so that that was great uh yeah and Gabe Kid and Coglin, we'll talk about them in a second, but yeah, they brought the fire and the intensity, and yeah, that was a great hard-hitting match. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, they did take a loss to the War Dogs, but they picked up the win against the Gates of Agony, um, so they're sitting at 2-1. and one. I thought it was interesting that they beat the Gates of Agony, because that's essentially, you know, we'll get to it, but Gates of Agony, three losses, they're pretty much eliminated with that loss. And that was one where I, I thought 
you know, it was kind of questionable because I'm like, is an AEW team going to eat a third straight loss to these guys? And uh, apparently they did. Yeah. I, I, I figured guess, yeah, Gates Magnet were coming in 0-2 here. I'm like, oh, all right, here we go. They're going to get their big win back, and they're, they're going to beat, you know, the Musketeers. It's going to be a, a big deal for them. But, yeah, no, they uh, hit uh, 0-3, so the best they can do is 5-3. and So we'll, we'll see if that could potentially get them uh, a semifinal spot. I suppose it could. Anything's possible. But I mean, for all intensive purposes, I'm going to assume that once you've had your third loss, you're pretty much out. I mean, it's not mathematically eliminated yet, but it's going it, to it would take a lot of things perfectly happening for them to still make it through at this point. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so Umino and Narita very much still alive here. Uh, Rambone Slam Pig says, uh, how do you feel that the younger generation guys, Umino, Suji, Yumura, Narita, are performing in World Tag League? Any ideas on where they will fit for the upcoming Tokyo Dome? Well, I mean, I'm still of the opinion that we're going to see uh, this team in particular make it to the Tokyo Dome and become the 100th IWGP Tag Team Champions. That's my opinion. I think they're doing pretty good. I wouldn't say that any particular uh, younger generation team has truly broken out, but I think they're all doing well. I, I'm enjoying the team with uh, Yuimura and uh, Tai Chi. And Tai Chi, I'm enjoying Kiyomiya and uh, uh, Oiwa, Suji, and, and Z are very, very good, and this team's great as well. So, I mean, I, I think that they have injected a lot of new life in the tournament, honestly. Yeah, I thought they're they they are, all performing very well. Um, you know, I think they all have something to prove. I mean, like you said, they haven't really had any, like, show-stopping, like, breakout performances. But the I would say like, the, the pace is definitely a lot quicker than previous years' World Tag Leagues. They're, they're coming in here, they're bringing intensity. They're all looking good, and they're definitely all a fresh, you know, welcome uh, into this tournament. So, uh, moving on to the next team here, the War Dogs from the Bullet Club, Alex Coglin and Gabe Kidd. They are also two and one with four points. Like we mentioned on night three, they defeated Renarita and Chilto Umino, and then on night five, they defeated the Chaos team of Tomohiro Ishii and Toro Yano. And um, remind me, Jeremy, how did they beat these guys? Were they cheating? Like, I don't, I watched the matches, but I don't quite recall how they won. Yeah, so with the uh, Narita and Umino match, they um, got the chair, they threw the chair at uh, Umino uh, towards the end, and then uh, Gabe Kid. I think, I'm, I'm kind of blending the fishes, but I know Gabe Kid. I think Gabe Kid he uh, cheated to beat Ishii, or uh, beat Pinano. And then, yeah, they threw the chair at Umino and uh, pinned him off of that. Okay, so they're not entirely winning their matches clean, but they're using, you know, a, it's a stark difference from what you're seeing from, like, say, House of Torture. It's a, it's a lot less run-ins and rep bumps and, and taking down the shoulder or taking down the uh, the corner pads, and it's much more brawling on the outside, jumping them from the offset. And uh, using a lot of roughhouse tactics and then maybe a sneaky foreign object here or there down the tail end stretch. But for the most part, it's, you know, uh, like power heel tactics throughout the match. 
Yeah, and also I think that their style of cheating, I, in my opinion, gets more heat than like House of Torture. Like from the beginning of the match, House of Torture, they're they're cheating. It's it's shenanigans throughout the whole match. With the War Dogs, like you mentioned, like they're, they're brawling, they're being very aggressive, and then they're doing like the the cheat at the very end. So it's like, man, like you you see these guys are good enough to win a match with their skills and their intensity, but they still kind of fall the bullet club ways of cheating and it's almost kind of like more of the Fergal Devitt style thing it's like man you know he, he's so good but why is he cheating and that's how I feel with them and they, they get the heat at the very end they're just like dang it like why you, you guys can win clean like why are you doing this for me so far in this block I would say just so far and it, it, it could change but I think that the war dogs team is my standout tag team so far they just seem to have this intensity uh, and the matches are very like violent, very visceral, and um, they're all very good. I think that they're the the team performing at the highest level in this block so far. Yeah, uh, both Kid and Colin mixing it up with Ishii in that tag match that was great. Ton tons of hard hit in there, um, mm-hmm. and then yeah, like, yeah, against them and uh, Umino and Arita, like just super intense. You know, kind of seeing Gabe Kid. You know, he's kind of the, you know, in the same class, quote unquote, with these guys. And he's trying to prove, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a musketeer. I'm better than all these guys. I, uh, you know, came from the L.A. Dojo. I, I'm just as good as these guys. I'm better than these guys. And so he really brings that intensity when he's facing off against, you know, the musketeers or guys like Kiyomiya. That's kind of in his similar kind of generation age bracket. Yeah, and they, they're already starting on a fast track in terms of wins in this tournament. That's a lot better than how they were positioned last year. So big improvement for them, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I, I mean, I think they have a, a good shot being one of the semifinalists from the block. Yeah, I agree. So next team, uh, the, the NOAA team, we have uh, Kaito Kiyomiya and Rei Oiwa. They are also 2-1 and one with four points. On night three, they lost to the United Empire team of Great Okan and Hanare. And then on night five, they bounced back with a win over Evil and Yujiro Takahashi. Very good team. Um, I'm loving uh, the double team aspect of what they bring to the table. I, I think that of all the teams we've reviewed for the tournament so far, this is the most cohesive in terms of double team maneuvers and working as a unit um, kind of has that white meat baby face sort of sheen to them. Very, very similar to like the midnight rockers in the late to mid eighties. And uh, I, I'm enjoying that a lot. I think uh, Kiyomiya for all the flack he's gotten and all the derision from Kevin Kelly and the naysayers, I mean, he's still Keito Kiyomiya. He's still a fantastic wrestler, and I think that he's uh, bringing something different and unique to the table here. Um, I, I think Oiva looks very good. I, I can't sit here and say that while he does look good, I don't know if I see a finished product in the same way I'm seeing with, like, you know, the, the rest of the guys that are a generation or two above him in the tournament. Um, I, I hate his hair, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he that. looks really good and they're doing really great as a team and they're, they're winning a lot of matches where I thought they might be losing. And I think that's a good sign for Oiwa as well as Kiyomiya. 
yeah, on his hair, it's like a almost like a bowl cut mix with like the the Tenzan mullet with like the the blonde on the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure what he's trying to go for there, but yeah, I think these guys have gelled great as a team. Like you mentioned, the, the double team stuff, like they're, they're hitting these double team, you know, like Ricky the Dragon steamboat arm drags, these double drop kicks. They're kind of both in the in the right place at the right time. They kind of know where each other's going to be at in the ring. And they're doing a solid classic, you know, drop toe hole, elbow drop. They're doing a, a lot of kind of classic double team moves. They're doing a uh, a doomsday device type maneuver where, uh, you know, Oiwa gets them up on the shoulders and Kiyomiya does like a splash from there. Crossbody. Um, yeah, crossbody. Um, so, yeah, they're doing a lot of cool double team stuff. And, yeah, I thought for sure that Oiwa was coming in just to be a pin eater and these guys were going to be like, uh, you know, two and and uh, four, whatever the number is, and, you know, kind of one of the losing teams. But yeah, so far two and one. Like I said, good sign for Oiwa. And yeah, compared to everybody else, like I, I still think he definitely needs more seasoning. Um, and again, and maybe that's just because he's he's in Noah. I think maybe he, he would benefit from going, you know, leaving Japan and maybe going to Mexico or going to Ref Pro in England, kind of mixing up. The style, but he, he is looking good. But I definitely think he's definitely not a, a finished product yet. Send him to Glate. <laughs> uh, send him to uh, uh, Choco Pro. <laughs> yeah, once you're done on the chocolate mat, freedoms, baby. <laughs> oh man, deathmatch division. <laughs> um, question from a uh, Discord Daddy and PR says, Oiwa is looking amazing. Are you more bullish on his ceiling than before? I'm not more bullish because I've always been fairly bullish on him. I think he's a great talent and has a lot of upside. I'm not seeing something where I've been convinced more than I was prior. I'm still high on him just like I've always been. Yeah, nothing's really changed for me. Like I said, he's looking good, but I don't think he's had a performance yet that's really kind of like, broken out or making him stand out, you know, kind of his counterparts like Kosei Vegeta. And, you know, we saw him in the Super Junior Tag League, and I, I thought Vegeta did a, a great job of, I think he kind of stood out a little bit more in, in a league like that, and uh, just kind of his progress to me seemed a little bit ahead of, of Oiwa. But Oiwa is great, and I think that, you know, if he stays on this track, I think with more time in Noah and elsewhere, he will come back and be a, be a player. We also had a question from Death Triangle seventy two that we skipped over. He says, "What are your thoughts on Oiwa and Kato as a team?" I, I pretty much already expressed my thoughts. I didn't know if there's anything you wanted to add to that, Jeremy. No, I think that they they've gelled really well together as a team. You know, they have the team T shirts. Uh, like we mentioned all the double team stuff. I think it would be kind of a cool thing. I think did they already challenge for the GHC tag titles? I. I really wouldn't know. <laughs> I, I think they, I think they might have, but I think it, it could be cool for them to, to win the GHC tag titles as a part of Oil's excursion and kind of really build them up as a tag team. And then, hey, why not? Hey, Kiyomiya, when, when the contract's up, come on back over with Oil. <laughs> Let's run this team. <laughs> uh, so uh, moving on to the next team, uh, the House of Torture team of Evil and Yujiro Takahashi. They are one and two. With two points, night thirty losing to TMDK and night five they lost to Kaito Kiyomiya and Rohei Oiwa. Yeah, um, I mean, 
what you see is what you get with uh, uh, with House of Torture. You kind of know what to expect. Um, obviously, having Yujiro there always opens up the possibilities of him being an easy win- victory for some of these teams uh, in various different nights. But I'm surprised that they've gotten off to a slower start than I would have anticipated. Um uh, you know, eating back-to-back losses to Kiyomiya and Oiwa as well as TMDK. And in both cases, those were teams where I'm not saying that they should have lost to House of Torture, but anything's possible this early in the tournament. And so to see them kind of eat like a lot of their, uh, you know, rule-breaking tactics backfired on them and they weren't able to overcome the odds and, and the good guys ended up picking up the victory. Um, I guess it's a good thing in a certain sense. I mean, there's still time for Evil Nujiro to pick up the pace and maybe come back in this tournament if they really wanted to. But with two losses, they're definitely on the bubble already. And the way tournaments have gone this year, I always had that fear that House of Torture just might finagle their way into one of the, the, the spots. But it looks like that's less and less likely this year, which is a good thing. Yeah, I'm still a little bit hesitant just because, yeah, they, they have a, a slow start, which, you know, a lot of times in tournament teams with slow starts will come back. And so, you know, they still have uh, several matches left that they could turn things around. And plus with the semifinal format, um, I think that they could potentially squeak their way into a final four situation. But hoping that's not the case. And like you mentioned, we, we've seen these guys, you know, show and Katamaru are coming out and. Uh, trying to get the the better of these guys, and uh, but things are not working out. You know, I thought they were really were going to get um, Kaito and Oiwa because uh, Kanamaru came, he blew the the story whiskey on Oiwa's face when he's on top rope, and you know they're, they're running through all the shenanigans there. But yeah, um, Kaito was able to kind of come back at the the Shining Wizard on Evil. So yeah, so all these teams have really been kind of fighting through. The shenanigans, you know, night three, uh, the main event there, they were talking about, you know, that was the same arena where um, it was evil and Shingo in a G1 and had Shingo won, you know, he would have knocked evil out of, or was it a G1? I think it was G1. It was the G1. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so yeah, it was the whole situation where like, there were, if there was like a draw or something like that, like Shingo would have gotten through or if he had won. And so, but evil had cheated to knock Shingo out. So it was kind of, you know, come up into them in the same building, the main event this time, TMDK was able to um, outmaneuver um, the shenanigans and uh, get a win there. Yeah, I think that was the Yokohama Budokan, um, if I'm saying that correctly. I don't have it on the run sheet, but uh, yeah, I thought that's Yokohama. The, huh? Yeah, it was Yokohama. That's, I think that's one of the best venues that they've done on this tour, and um, I'm going to try and do a better job. Uh, taking note of which which you know arenas and halls they play that I like, but uh, <laughs> you know with TMDK it made sense to me because for whatever reason TMDK members have always just kind of been able to have the number of House of Torture guys, and um, that that just plays into you know a long list of victories where that's the case. But I, I was glad to see Kiyomi and Oi would beat them because it was like they used their virtues of good to overcome the evil <laughs> of house of torture. And like, uh, I don't, I don't recall exactly what the quote was, but Kiyomiya like got in the face of, uh, of evil while he was on the ground and like talked that shit. And, and you know, basically <laughs> said like, you know, your shit didn't work. Like we beat you with our pure wrestling, which is sick. So, 
Yeah, I was like, I was worried for the the Wrestling Noah fans. Like, how would they react if like Udro oh, or Evil Pin came in? Because there was a near fall where like they were cheating, and then Udro hit the uh, the pimp juice. On Kiyomiya, I'm like, what? hit it twice. I'm like, and I was like, there's no way, there's no way they're going to have Yujiro pin Kiyomiya. Huge, huge. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, they were able to fight through, get the win there. So yeah, good stuff uh, from Kiyomiya and Oiwa, and yeah, how to torture sitting with two points. Uh, another team with two points is the uh, Mr. Hall of Famer himself, Tomohiro Ishii and Toriyano. So they're one and two, two points. Night three, they defeated the Gates of Agony. And then on night five, they lost to the War Dogs. Yeah. Uh, Ishii and Yano, a team that historically does very well in this tournament. But this might be too competitive competitive of a field for that to, you know, play itself out the way it normally does. And, you know, I, I'm glad seeing some of these more seasoned teams like House of Torture and like Ishii and Yano that are here year after year that never win it anyways, kind of taking a backseat to the younger generation. Um, Ishii and Yano, they, they've got a good act. They, they're a great tag team. They, you know, they have that strange cohesion, you know, the yin and the yang, the, you know, the comedy mixed with the hard ass, you know, strong style. And it works well, and their matches are good. Um, I'm not surprised necessarily that they've taken two losses this at this point. I did think that, um, not that I want them to go winless, <laughs> but I did think that the Gates of Agony match was one where, again, I thought Gates of Agony might pick up a, a you know a victory there that didn't happen. So I was a little surprised, but uh, you know Ishii stand out of the tag team and he's really working well with a lot of these uh you know newer younger talents in the tournament yeah ishii no surprise this look great um mixing it up with uh you know bishop khan and toilet leona those are the two big dudes and ishii of course is going head to head with those guys uh big strike exchanges big um exchange of moves there between those guys and then uh, in the match with the War Dogs again, like you mentioned earlier, the exchanges with him and Kid and him and Coglin were, were just awesome. And uh, I know Charlton on commentary was joking, like you know, why does Yano ever tag you know back into Ishi? Like it seems like Ishi's kind of handling both guys by himself. Um, so yeah, they've been having some really good, entertaining matches. And yeah, I was kind of expecting them to to lose to Gates of Agony. Um, just because you know, it's it, you would think that they're trying to push maybe Gates of Agony as a as a newer team, and you know they're in from AEW, but yeah, they got the the win there, and then uh, yeah, they lost to the War Dogs, which again, like you mentioned, I think it's cool that yeah, some of these newer gen teams are getting the win over established teams, teams that have been here year after year and never win. So yeah, I think that totally makes sense in a, in a kayfabe sense, and so yeah, I think Ishii and Yano, I don't really expect these guys to get into a final four, I think they'll probably, you know, kind of break even or, you know, be right on that cutting line to get into the semifinals. But yeah, they'll, they'll need to have uh, really good matches. So uh, the next team from the United Empire, Great Okan and Hanare, they are one and one with two points. Uh, they lost to, or they defeated uh, Kaito Kiyomiya and Rohe Oiwa. And then they... Lost to TMDK team of uh, Shane Hayes and Mikey Nichols. Wouldn't that make them one and two? How could they be one and one? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, they are one and two. My bad. 
okay. I was like, what? Did I miss something? Um, good catch, Joshua. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, you know, of all the teams that are on the bottom side of the tournament in the block, I'm probably the most disappointed by the fact that Okan and Hanare are doing so, so poorly. Uh, their matches are great. And they're a great team, and they had a lot of success last year. But and and granted, I get it. Not everybody can be at the top. There has to be people there that lose. But you know, it's one of those things. It's like Hanari and O'Connor, two guys that I see a lot of upside, a lot of promise, a lot of potential in this company. And time and time again, it seems like no matter what, how they change their gimmick, their look what kind of great match performances they put in. They kind of always just like come up short. They always have the rug pulled from underneath them and they just aren't really prominent in any particular area of the company, whether that's singles or tag, whatever division that it is that they're in, they're always just kind of eating losses. And so I sort of thought that maybe the tag division would be a good spot for them. Uh, we saw how successful Ocon and Cobb were as a team for a very long time and Hanari and great Okan just haven't been able to capitalize on that same momentum, that same level of success. And I'm, I don't know. I'm a little disappointed because I think both guys are really good. And, you know, this is just something that just keeps playing out year after year. And we're starting, this is, these are two guys that are not in the same boat, in my opinion, as like an Ishii or Yano or evil Yujiro, because this is not, guys that that their best years have already started to kind of pass them these are guys that are smack dab in the middle of their primes right now and they're not being utilized to their greatest strengths and they're getting passed up by the the younger guys in this tournament that have already come along which you know I, i'm not sure that i think that it should be that way yeah it's almost like they're kind of been you know pigeonholed and took the you know the good little hand of uh, spots in, in wrestling it's like well we, we know hanari and okan they're gonna give us a good match you know we'll throw them out there but you know we're, we're not gonna really do anything with them and yeah i think that does kind of uh, hurt them I mean, you mentioned you know they're not doing a ton with them in the singles division so why not go with them as a team like you're, you're not pushing either guy in singles divisions they're not gonna win any singles titles anytime soon yeah, it would seem like the tag division would be a perfect place for them to really flourish in. Um, you know, also we know New Japan throughout the year doesn't really have uh, a large focus or, or booking on the, the tag division. But I think if you, you use a team like Hanare and Okan, a very popular faction like United Empire, uh, it, it would be a good vehicle to, to do something with those guys and capitalize just on their skill, the popularity of the faction and, and um, yeah, it's a way to use them. Yeah, and considering the fact that they're both like OG um, dojo guys, you know, you would kind of expect a little bit more preferential treatment from the office, but I don't know. There's some reason that they're just not. I don't know what it is. You know, I'm not going to speculate, but they, they, like you said, they're just kind of pigeonholed into this one specific type of role. Yeah, and I do know that they are kind of telling the story with, Ocon kind of being off of his game after losing to John Moxley after getting his uh you know his braid cut. And so yeah, he has kind of been in a slump since losing to, to Mox at power struggle. But 
like, man, I don't feel like that's a story to tell right now for him. Like, I feel like they that that loss should have motivated him, and that him and Hanari should have been coming out here just like killing everybody. Well, you know, there's there's the version of that story where you tell that story and it's Sonata, and they're losing, 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 but then suddenly they're going to be turned around in the next tournament and repackaged and like given the push for better for worse. And then there's the other version of that story where it's uh, juice (laughs) 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 and they lose and they're unmotivated and then they lose and then they lose and then they lose. And then suddenly they're not a star anymore in this company. And then they have to go away to kind of re regain that former, you know, form. Um, So hopefully it's not the latter. Yeah, I think it would be a shame to continue to beat a guy like this. But they're having really good matches in the tournament. This block, I don't know. I think A block's better than B block at this point. Yeah, I would say yeah, A block is like the more the harder hitting and intense block. There's been a lot of hard hitting uh, matches throughout uh, this this block here. A lot of the beefy boys in this block. So yeah, this block's been a lot of fun to watch. So the last team we'll talk about here in the A block is the, the Gates of Agony, Bishop Khan and Toa Leona from the Mogul Embassy. They are 0-3, 0 points, night 3, losing to Ishii and Yano, night 5, losing to Narita and Umino. You know, um, I didn't necessarily expect this, considering the fact that these are AEW slash, I guess, the caveat is slash ring of honor, you know, <laughs> talent. Um, when you look at the booking of basically almost any and every AEW guy that's come over to new Japan and taken, taken part in a tournament. Um, this has got to be by far the, 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 the weakest booking from a kayfabe standpoint that we've seen from any of those contracted talents. I think the closest thing I could, maybe point to is like Yuta Wheeler Wheeler Yuta in the uh Super Juniors a couple years ago was he didn't do the the greatest but mm-hmm. um these guys going 0 and 3 right out the gate I'm sure they'll pick up wins down the block but uh they're pretty much essentially eliminated unless math unless the ma- unless the math is mathing for them. Um but one th- a couple things I will say that are positive. Uh, number one I don't know that they should have been winning. Not, and this isn't like a I've got an axe to grind against AEW sort of thing. But when you look at all the teams that are here, hypothetically, if you had this team picking up two or, or three wins or whatever, that would be at the detriment to some of these other younger teams that are just starting to make a name for themselves. Um, so I don't know if, you know, and we'd be complaining about that on the flip side. So uh, the other thing too is that this isn't necessarily a top tier tag team in kayfabe from AEW. You know, they they eat losses there. I think that the tournament is being treated very much as like a learning, uh, you know, kind of ex- excursion for them, um, and they're doing really well. I mean, y- you hear about how green they are. I'm not seeing the greenness. In fact, like I, them going out there night after night, losing, you would start you would kind of think maybe you'd start to see a little bit of lack of motivation or the boo-boo face. You're not seeing that. What I'm seeing every night is monsters with tons of intensity and believability, no matter whether they win or lose, they don't seem to be hurt by these losses. And 
I still get the feeling that they're going to pick up some big wins and turn their tournament around, even if they're not quote unquote, you know, moving through to the next side or to the next, uh, you know, moving through to the quarterfinals. Yeah, I thought they've they've looked really good. Like you mentioned, they're, they're very hard hitting, very intense. Um, you know, Toa Leone trained by Rikishi. You can see a lot of that kind of influence in his style. The big uh, Samoan drop and some of the, the kind of faster paced stuff Rikishi would pull out sometimes. And then Bishop Khan, this guy is uh, Jack to the gills, and he looks good too. Um, you know, I wouldn't come out here and say that they're are they're green, and I'm noticing all this stuff. But I, I will say like. Just watching them compare to some of the other like New Japan trained wrestlers, you can kind of see some, some certain movements that are not quite up to like what you would probably learn coming out of the dojo. But mm-hmm. that's to be expected because you know <laughs> this is their first time in Japan. You know they train in an American wrestling system. Um, but, but besides that fact, I think they are looking good. Um, you know they're really mixing it up here with these um, teams here and. Despite losing, I do think they are standing out, and you know, they're, they're in the backstage promos, they're, they're showing the frustration with lo- losing. So I think they're they're cutting good promos, they're having good matches. Um, I I expect them to go on to win their next five. I can see these guys ending up five and three, and like you mentioned, depending on how the math plays out, that could be with the whole with the semifinal format. That could be good enough to get them. Uh, into a final four scenario and you know they are an aw team but it's not like it's an ftr level team it's not it's not a young bucks it's not um you know one of their top tag teams that have been former tag team champions so i think it's good that yeah these guys are coming in they're you know taking their lumps this is more of a kind of a learning experience for them and i think that's cool instead of them coming in here and just like you know running rough shot over the division so you're saying tentatively maybe be on the lookout for them t- for this to be the comeback story in this uh, tournament's block. Yeah, and I, I've seen them, you know, pick up the intensity each night. And, you know, this past um, backstage promo, they were like, you know, what do we have to do? What do we have to do every night? We're going out here and we're, you know, we're, we're running the playbook and it should be working. And so there's a, there's a lot of frustration and anger there. And so I think that we're going to continue to kind of see – the intensity increase because uh, you know in it was the uh, in the Narita Umino match they they kind of pulled a similar uh, tactics like the War Dogs that they they jumped uh, Umino and Narita from the jump and to try and get the advantage so I think we're going to kind of continue to see them get desperate and be more intense and kind of pull out all stops to try and get some points here. Yeah, and if if nothing else, the fact that they're working with all of these established tag teams, I think it is really beneficial for them in the long run because they are improving night after night and they're gaining a lot of, you know, valuable ring time and experience that they wouldn't be getting otherwise. Yeah. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
All right, now let's move on to the B block. So on top of the block here, we have the Just Five Guys team of Taichi and Yuya Uemura. They are 3-0 with six points. On night two, they defeated Yotasuji and Zandokan Jr. On night four, they defeated the strong openweight tag team champions, El Fantasmo and Hikaleo. And then on night six, they defeated Minoru Suzuki and Yuji Nagata. Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying this team. Um, two guys that I think are benefiting a lot from the tournament. Um, Taichi, he's found his uh, niche within the company in the past by, you know, excelling in the tag division when he was part of Dangerous Techers with a. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. And then Uemura, who has just sort of returned from excursion and hasn't really even had much of a, a singles run to, you know, that's even noteworthy at this point. And so this is sort of the first notable thing that he's doing in the company. Um, I noticed on the commentary that Chris Charlton was telling the story where Uemura is sort of unsettled with his lack of success, especially in the light of the success that Suji's having within the tournament and just in general from a career trajectory standpoint. And they're doing a really good job of one of two things, either either something's actually wrong with Uemura and he's making the stank face every night and sort of unsure of himself, or they're telling a nuanced story that is sort of, you know, building his character up gradually. But him and Tai Chi, nonetheless, they're having a lot of success. Um, they're sort of always um, in an underdog role to a certain extent, and they're finding ways to win these matches where you wouldn't expect them to win. Like the the match with Suji and Zandakan, a very flashy, high-flying team with a lot of success. They They found a way to get past those guys. And Tai Chi, you know, obviously was already having the issues with Zandakan and, and uh, the, the damage that he did to Tai Chi's chest, as well as Yuimura, you know, having to kind of compare himself and somewhat standing in the shadow Suji. They, they got past that challenge. Then, you know, Phantasmo and, and Hikaleo are a team that have been main eventing almost every single B block night and already beat the IWGP Tag Team Champions. And they got past those guys, which was sort of uh, remarkable. And then um, on night six, they beat Suzuki and Nagata, which is, uh, you know, no no easy task, even though Suzuki and Nagata don't have any points at this point. <laughs> um, it, it's never an easy night when you're taking on the two kings of, of strong style. Yeah, I thought that they looked really good in that Suzuki Nagata match. And I think it was a big deal for, you know, you and Moore to get the win there. And you mentioned even though... Yeah, Nagata and Suzuki are 0-3, but it's also it's two established guys, two uh, guys that Uemura has ever beaten before. Um, and so I think it was a good way to really help establish him and get him over in that match. And, yeah, a big deal for them. Beating the strong openweight tag team champions that could lead to a uh, future tag match there. And, yeah, good stuff uh, with them um, and Suji and Santa Con Jr., 
And we, we did have a question from uh, the Discord. Daddy says, what do you think is the deal if you're more, is he working or is he shooting? <laughs> um, if I had to guess, this is probably a work just based on his history. I mean, this is a guy that liked to play with kayfabe and, you know, teased that he was no longer with New Japan and he was no longer with the company and that he was full time with Impact Professional Wrestling and that his future was set on the sights of Impact. And clearly that wasn't the case. Uh, so I would I would assume that this is all character building, story driven uh, character work. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, he, he mentioned the way he would troll on Twitter and you know talk about being a free agent, looking for signing, looking for bookings. Yeah, being exclusive to Impact. So I, I feel like yeah, Yamura is um, you know the, the old work is a new work, and I think that this is all a part of a, a bigger story for him. Like we saw, like we said when he first came back, like I just don't his whole like aesthetic and just look and feel does does not match with just five guys and so I, I think we could be potentially in a situation here where like maybe he's a temporary five guy fifth guy and then eventually he you know turns on those guys build his own thing and they, they have to find another new fifth guy but yeah I just don't feel like his character really gets meshes with those guys and fits in well just thematically um, and so I could see this yeah leading to maybe potentially him leading in, you know, one thing that he did agree to, to join the group that he, he won singles matches with, with all those guys. So again, maybe this is leading to those singles matches to the, to a bigger story arc, but I definitely think it, it's more of a, a work than a shoot. Yeah. What, one other thing while we're on the subject, you know, Chris Charlton also mentioned how with Suji and his kind of character work and his in-ring work, he sort of added a lot of different elements from Europe and, and from Mexico and kind of varied his game. Whereas uh, Yuya Uemura is sort of just leaning into the basic classical fundamentals of professional wrestling. Most of the moves he's doing aren't any different from what he would have been doing as a young lion in the dojo. He's just sort of refined them and, and raised them up level. And so it's kind of like two different schools of thought. And maybe that is uh, who he is going forward. That's the kind of wrestler he's going to be. Or maybe it's just one step in his evolution as they start to tell the story of whatever character he's going to be. Because he, right now he doesn't feel like a, a finished product, like you mentioned, Jeremy. And he doesn't fit in aesthetically and thematically with the group. And so... You know, I, I can't speculate about what they're doing because I'm not great at that. But uh, I do think that this is leading somewhere that, you know, we're, we're all going to be along the ride for. Yeah. Let's so move on to the next team, Monster Sauce, the Murder Hawk Monster, Lance Archer, and the Sauce, Alex Zane. They are also... 3-0 and with 6 points on night 2. They defeated the Rogue Army night 4. They defeated the IWGP Tag Team Champions Bishamon. And then on night 6, they defeated Atlantis Jr. and Soberano Jr. Yeah, uh, one of the most exciting teams in the tournament. Um, Alex Zane is a big man that does things that a lot of guys his size and with his body structure should not be doing. And then 
you could say the exact same thing for Lance Archer, but in yeah. an even <laughs> bigger way. <laughs> um, they've got a lot of great chemistry. This is a team that I was very excited for earlier in the year and was hoping to see more of, and we didn't um, until now in the tournament. And I think they're they're doing really great. They're getting great reactions from the crowd. They're having great matches night after night. Uh, you know, they picked up a victory over Bishamon, so Bishamon had a second loss to another team uh, as the reigning IWGP Tag Team Champions. So that's pretty big for them. Uh, it was funny on night six, Alex Zane coming out, and I don't know what happened, but he, uh, he, he forgot his gear, his okay. pants. <laughs> he forgot his pants or his gear or whatever. He had to wrestle in some red, you know, uh, shorts like he was Kevin Owens at a pickup basketball game <laughs> but uh yeah they picked up the win over team cmll and uh they're doing very well um and they both did commentary uh on various different nights with chris charlton i preferred lance archer you yes. know what here's the funny thing i didn't think that uh you know and i think alex zane's a great talent i don't think he was very good at commentary at all no not at all like he just kind of feel like he just kind of like it's there just filling in when Chris wasn't talking and it wasn't like, I don't know anything really insightful or like, you know, like when ELP it's like when ELP he's in character and you're kind of like laughing and stuff. But like, I, I had to like ask, like, I didn't know who even was talking because I didn't catch that. It was Zane. And I was like, who is this? And then the, and then I, I caught on that it was Zane and I'm like, wow, for a guy that's so charismatic in the ring, I, I didn't really uh, think his commentary was the best, but you know, then again, he's not a co- color commentator, so it's all right. Yeah, his, uh, his sec- second time he did it, it was a little bit better. He was making a, a lot more jokes, um, kind of bantering more of Chris. But yeah, the first time he did it was a, a little rough. But yeah, Archer is great, and it's, Archer's done it before. And Archer's so good because here's what Archer does: he pays zero attention <laughs> to anything related to New Japan in any way, shape, or form. And then just comes in and is completely clueless and has to be filled in about everything. But it's like kind of, uh, you know, like it's charming almost the way he is. He's like, oh, so what's up with these guys? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, like, <laughs> Mox, cut his, Mox cut his hair. Oh, <laughs> when <did> that happened. <laughs> he hasn't scouted anybody in the tournament like. He's like, I'll, I'll be there. He knows nothing about anybody, what moves they do, what their stories are, what their character developments are. He's like, oh, these guys are together now? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. But, yeah, I think he, he added a lot to the commentary, you know, talking about his experience, some of the younger guys and being young lions and, uh, you know, kind of filling in the stuff that he didn't know with his, his experience uh, in the ring. And, yeah, I thought he was he just kind of jived really good, and I think that, you know, once he decides to hang the boots up, I think he could have a future uh, in the booth. You know, these uh, these young Lions have it rough this tour because they're getting beat up by Lance Archer. Then later they're getting beat up by Minoru Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Then they're getting beaten up, beaten up by the War Dogs. <laughs> yeah, they're getting messed up. <laughs> they're getting it from all sides. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Archer and Zane, three points. I didn't necessarily expect that, but um, this is a great tag team. I, I'm enjoying their work a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm loving them as a team so far. You know, they got the, the new music, the new Tron video. They're they got the matching gear, the new shirts, and uh, Alex Zane 
say what you will about his commentary, but the man's got an endorsement deal from Taco Bell in Japan. You can get the Alex Zane combo. Meal. I don't even know. I don't even know what's in that combo, but I want it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Just walk up. Yeah, let me get that that Zane combo. I'm gonna find out what the combo is and see if I can go, like head over to my Taco Bell and just recreate it. <laughs> yeah, you should uh, do that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm really digging the the Monster Sauce team here. We had a question here from Mike Gamble. He says Monster Sauce with three wins and six points. How far do you guys see them actually going in this tournament? Are they a legit threat to win? I don't think they're a legit threat to win in the sense of. Could I see them head, you know, going to the Tokyo Dome and being the team to face off against Bishamon? Personally, I just don't see that. Uh, stranger things have happened. But in terms of like how talented as a team are they and, you know, how much chemistry they have and the fact that they're over with the crowds, could I see them winning a tournament like this or even winning the championship at some point? Like, yeah, I could hypothetically if, if they gave them the ball and let them ro- roll with it. Um, I do see them potentially, I'm not calling it right now, but I could see them being, you know, one of the semifinalists in the block, but, uh, I just don't see them as being, or even finalists, but I don't see them being the team to win the whole thing right now. Yeah. Traditionally, when you're in the same block as the champions and you face them, you're typically not going to face them, win the tournament and face them again. So you know, they've already been Bishamon here, so I don't think they would, you know, run it back at the Tokyo Dome. I think the winners of the league are going to come out the A block to get a, a fresh matchup at the Tokyo Dome. Um, but like you said, with them are beating Bishamon, you know, they, they beat the champions. That's an, an easy return match after Wrestle Kingdom. You can run these guys, get right a new beginning. You want to run it sometime um, in the spring. Uh, there's a, a chance there for those guys and to uh, get a, a big win like that there. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't see them going all the way through, but I think they're going to be a, a strong contending team, and I I can see them at least getting into the semifinals. So moving on to the next team, we have the CMLL team of Atlantis Jr. and Soberano Jr. They are sitting at 2-1 and one with four points. On night two, they defeated Minoru Suzuki and Yuji Nagata. And night four, they defeated the Rogue Army. And night six, they got their first loss to Monster Sauce. I really am enjoying this tag team because they do bring a different vibe and flavor to the tournament as a whole. They're not so far, you know, involved in too many major matches in terms of like their positioning on the card. They're usually like first or second in terms of tournament matches. And the match times sort of reflect that they're getting, you know, 10 minutes, sub 10 minutes, and that's fine. Um, the, the whole thing with Atlantis Jr. and Soberano Jr. being diametrically opposed in terms of the Rudo uh, Technico thing that has not come out, that has no bearings on this tournament at all. They're just basically both white meat baby faces, which is fine. And I've found their work to be, you know, it, it, in terms of heavyweight luchadors, this is about as good as you you could ask, you know, it, is it, it's not necessarily as high flying as what you'd see from like a Ray Phoenix or, 
you know, uh, Mystico or anything like that. But for guys their size doing the style that they're doing, um, very exciting, very fast-paced, uh, very fun and energetic, which I think is kind of needed to sort of break up the monotony of the tournament. Um, night two, when they wrestled Nagata and Suzuki, they got their asses handled handed to them, and they they sort of won that with a surprise uh, crucifix roll-up out of nowhere, so they sort of skated by there. And then on, on night four, I, I don't think people necessarily expected them to beat the Rogue Army either, uh, two larger gentlemen that were kind of like using a lot of their power and cheating tactics, and they found a way to win there. So that they've kind of come from underneath, and they're having a lot of success. The match with Monster Sauce was flips. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Lots of flips, lots of high flying. This was kind of in their wheelhouse, and unfortunately, the match that was in their wheelhouse was the one that they lost. <laughs> yeah, uh, Soberano's been doing this cool thing where he like jumps on the guy's back and then jumps off and does a leg drop. To their yeah, head. That's cool. That's been dope. Uh, he's been doing, uh, you know, Fosbury flops. Uh, yeah, both these guys have just been having a lot of really fun, high flying matches. Yeah, the Monster Sauce match was um, a lot of fun. And, you know, like you mentioned they haven't really been leaning into the whole uh, Soberano heel turn, but they have been um, some nights wearing all black gear to kind of lean into Soberano's new personality, even though they're not really cheating. So that's kind of how they've kind of. Try to kind of mesh it in there. Uh, but, yeah, these guys have been mainly wrestling clean all their matches. And, yeah, a lot of high flying, a lot of fun. Um, I think uh, definitely a welcome addition here with this CMLL team. Because normally we don't get CMLL representation in a tournament like this or in the past. It's been guys, like you mentioned, like Terrible, who's not doing a ton of flying. So, yeah, it's been cool to yeah, get Soberano, get Atlantis in this tournament, mixing it up with these guys, and yeah, they're two and one, uh, sitting right now at, at a good position to uh, potentially get into the semifinals. Yeah, I agree, and it kind of reminds me of like when you'd watch like the Crockett Cup back in the days, and you'd see like uh, you know the Guerreros in there, or you know Baba and Mizawa as a tag team. Like having those international teams brought in kind of just changes the dynamic and i like that a lot I, and i'm hoping that as things alter and shift in terms of the power dynamics with western wrestling that new japan and cmll sort of shore up their their partnership and we've already kind of seen a little bit of that kind of indicated this year with the way that uh the super juniors tournament and tetons placement uh played out and hopefully we start to see more of this. I would like to see CML representation in Super Juniors, but also the other tag tournaments and maybe even New Japan Cup. That's that that sort of stuff's cool to me. Yeah. So moving on to the next team, we have Gene Blast, Yota Suji, and Zandokan Jr. They are also two and one with four points on night two. They lost to Taichi and Yomura night four. They defeated Suzuki and Nagata. And then on night six, they defeated the strong openweight tag team champions, El Fantasmo and Hikaleo. And we had a question from Barry Walsh. Are you impressed with Xandacon so far? Is he a better pirate than Tanada ever was? <laughs> oh, man. I've, I guess I didn't really think of uh, I forgot. He did have, like, a pirate gimmick for a while, huh? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Zandacon Jr. rules. I said last week that I feel like we're watching like the future of the industry. I think he's a standout talent. And, uh, you know, I, I feel bad that I ever called him anything other than his proper name, Zandacon. What did I call him before? I don't, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. But <laughs> I made I made jokes a couple weeks ago and um, I don't remember. I don't remember what I like jokingly referenced him as because all I just see is you know, Zandicon Jr., pirate wrestler, the man. Um, I loved on uh, night, uh, I think it was night five on the undercard, him and Suji both came out in pirate gear attire, wearing like the swashbuckler shirt, you know, tied at the bottom and, and the bandana and the eye patch. Like that shit was hilarious. To yeah, me. that was great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, they've been, this has been, um, I don't know if I'd say like the standout team of, you know, and it's funny. I was saying that the A block was better, but like, as I'm going down, I'm like, man, there's a lot of really good. This tournament is good. It it is. Yeah. There, there hasn't been a lot of like breakout matches, but the tournament overall is like, I wouldn't, most of this, I wouldn't say you should skip it. It's mostly, I would say like, just watch the tournament matches because it's, it's been very enjoyable. Suji and Zandicom have an entirely different vibe. Um, they they also kind of bring some of that CMLL Lucha Libre uh, appeal here, but uh, you know, with a with a twist. And they're having a lot of success. Obviously, I'm very high on Suji, and now I'm high on Zandicom as well. Yeah, and they've been gelling really well together. I know they worked together a little bit during Suji's excursion in CMLL, but. You know, they're doing some cool double team stuff too. They're doing like the, the splash off each other's shoulders uh, for one of their big moves. Um, you know, again, doing some flying and stuff like that. Yeah, I think Vanacon looks good. I think it's hilarious with his whole, you know, spit in the hand and want to shake uh, people's hand and people not want to shake his hand. Um, but yeah, I think he's getting over with the crowds. And yeah, these guys are gelling really uh, well together as a team. I, I think it would be cool. If they did add uh, Xanacon to Lij and kind of make him and Suji um, a regular thing, and um, yeah, I do think he's a better pirate than Sonata ever was. <laughs> uh, the the finish that they're doing now is like a tower of power. I don't know what you call it, but basically Suji will stand on Xanacon's shoulders and then be dropped down for a lateral press yeah. on a prone opponent, and it, it looks great. And it's just an awesome finish. Yeah, yeah, these guys are awesome, and um, you know, beating a strong openweight tag team champions, I think, I think it's a big deal for them. That could lead to a title match down the line, and you know, I think again with Xanacon, Z- I think people are expecting whoever this new guy is is going to be a pin eater. These guys aren't going to do well, and right now that they're sitting with four points, they're sitting in a good spot at this point in the tournament. I, I think that with some more wins, yeah, this is another team that could potentially be one of your semifinalists. Yeah, there there've been a lot of tournaments in the past where we've seen, you know, for instance, uh I'll give you the name of a team from the past, Tanahashi teaming with Hanare. And it's like you know what the deal is there. Like Hanare is there to gain some experience, but he's the clear pin eater for Tanahashi and he loses they lose almost every single match and that just makes the math very easy for them. They've, they've sort of had to step their booking game up a lot in this tournament because while, yeah, they are bringing in some younger guys and outsiders that are the designated pin eaters, they're also still booking them strong. Like in this particular instance, like Xanacon, 
I, I do think in most instances he probably will be the pin eater when they lose, but they're making them a viable tag team. They're booking them well, and they're making him look credible. So he's not just Suji's little buddy. Like, that's not what it is at all. They look like equals. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, let's move on to the next team. We have the strong openweight tag team champions, Hikaleo and El Fantasmo from the Gorillas of Destiny. They are currently one and two with two points on night two. They defeated the IWGP tag team champions, Bishamon. Then they ate two losses in a row. They lost to Taichi and Yuomura on night four. And then on night six, losing to Suji and Zandokan Jr. Yeah, I can't help but notice that even though they're, they have had two losses, that they're headlining most of the shows that they're on. And there's probably a reason behind that. Um, I know that last week I voiced my disinterest in the coupling of ELP and Hikaleo. And to a certain extent, I still stand by that uh, viewpoint. But um, there is no getting around the fact that they're excelling as a tag team in this tournament in terms of their actual work and in terms of crowd investment. They're getting really great reactions they're having very good matches. I do think that, um, you know, we for a long time, we were very high in Hikaleo, and it kind of got to a point where it's like, well, when is he going to progress? When is he going to move beyond just a guy with potential to a guy that actually is, like, delivering the goods? And we've seen some, you know, um, in the past, there have been some bright spots, definitely, like some of the matches with Jay White, that sort of thing, uh, some of his matches in the G1, but... By and large, it's been inconsistent. But in this tag team, I think they've been able to hide some of the negatives and accentuate the positives when it comes to him and his big man offense. And uh, same thing for like ELP. ELP is a guy who uh, I think has everything needed right now. If they wanted to push him as a sing- top singles act, he has the goods to do that. But for whatever reason, they haven't done that. And he's almost kind of, digressed slightly since his face turn and sort of has needed a vehicle to elevate him. And so I do feel like the tag team is benefiting them in this tournament. At least they're having great matches. They're main eventing. They're getting the crowd to, to react to them. And dare I say it, they might be the better version of God just already in the short time. they've been together. They might be the better tag team to actually watch just generally speaking. Yeah. And I think they're in a spot that we were kind of wanting to see Hanare and Okan in. It's a spot where like, all right, they're not really doing a whole ton of Hikaleo singles and they're not doing a whole ton of ELP and singles. So they, they throw them together as a team and you know, they're strong open weight tag champs. They're winning. They're, they're becoming a top team in the division. And, uh, you know, I think that's cool. And, yeah, their, their matches have been um, fun to watch and kind of, you know, the, the big man, smaller man dynamic always works well in, in tag team wrestling. And, um, but, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, they've they're only um, picked up one win so far. Um, so they're, they're down uh, two losses. They are the strong tag champs, so I can see them kind of bouncing back. They did have that big win over Bishamon, and then, uh, you know, Obari tweeted out, is uh, strong greater than IWGP? 
Um, so they were definitely kind of teasing that there. Um, so I, I do think that this will be a team that bounces back. I don't think they will make it into the semifinals um, because that's uh, they are tag champions, and so uh, it just doesn't. I don't think you need them getting into the semifinals. Yeah, um, I mostly agree. Now there is one small thing that I want to point out, and I, I don't want to say like I'm no Stradamus here, but. I feel like they're being slightly a bit too heavy handed with the baby faceness of the team. Like, um, and that's not to say that they're not doing a good job of it. They are, but like, it's not nuanced whatsoever. Like every night they're chanting for the team that's opposing them. They're giving them t-shirts they're getting the crowd hyped up. They're spending tons and tons of time at ringside. Yeah, they're um, signing autographs, signing merch. Yeah, like they're they're doing a lot of stuff like that. And I almost feel like a little bit like it's so heavy-handed that maybe down the line they're gearing up for some sort of heel turn of some sort. I don't know if it, that would be ELP or GOD as a unit. Hard to say, but it's just like it's so heavy-handed it's like almost too much on the nose yeah um which i mean i I think elp makes a great heel so i I wouldn't mind if they turned him back but yeah it does seem a little over the top like too in your face it was it reminds me you know like uh drill baloney throwing up the you know the crowns up for the united empire like every five seconds like in your face so when the turn oh yeah i forgot about that (laughs) when the turn happens you're like oh that's why he was doing that and so, yeah, I could see them being set up of, all right, they're in your face. Yeah, they're, they're hugging babies, you know, signing autographs, being super nice, shaking hands, giving away T-shirts. And then when you least expect it, yeah, they pull the turn. I think it, it could end up great if that, if that is the game plan they're, they're looking into. Yeah, just a little insight there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, again, yeah, they're, they're one and two. They still got a ways to go if they want to make it to the semis. Uh, next team that's also one and two, the IWGP heavyweight tag team champions, Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. So they're, they're one and two, two points. On night two, they lost to ELP and Higaleo. Night four, they lost to Monster Sauce. And then on night six, they rebounded with a win over the Rogue Army. Yeah, Goto and Yoshihashi are the working standard of the tag team division in this company. And uh, yeah, they had two big losses. They rebounded with uh, a win over um, Rogue Army. I kind of get the feeling that I'm trajectoring them, if that's even, that's not really a word, but I'm trajectoring (laughs) them to... uh, probably end up in a position where they tie one of the teams that gets into the semifinals but they lose the tiebreaker so they end up at the same point differential but they're you know eliminated at that point that's probably where i see them i i'm hoping that they're not one of the teams that makes it to the final four although that that could definitely happen yeah, I think it makes it less interesting if they get into the final four because you, you know that they are probably not going to the finals. Um, so you, you know they would lose in the final four. So, yeah, I think it makes things more interesting to have 
a bunch of uh, you know non champions and, and challengers all going into the final four. And I agree with you. I think yeah, they'll probably end up you know like five and thirty. Uh, that'll put them at ten points, and then you have other teams that are ten. So maybe like Monster Sauce and ELP and Hikaleo teams that have beaten them, they are at ten. So you have like a three way tie at ten, but because they both because the Bishamon lost to both, then Bishamon would be out kind of thing. Mm. So yeah. But uh, they, they've been having good matches, you know. Goto um, back from his. Oh. Uh, I didn't know you want me to keep talking about them. I didn't have anything left to say. I was like, let's keep it rolling. <laughs> well, I was going to say real quick, I, I think Goto, they, you know, he's a good coming back from injury. You know, he came back, I think he had like a torn MCL or strained MCL. So coming back from the injury, I thought he's, he's looking good. You know, they, they've been rocking the, the all white uh, gear lately. Um, so, yeah, I think they're looking good, looking like a real established tag team. And, um, yeah, you know, Bishamon, I think they're, they're underrated. I liked on the undercard where they both – had their bows and their staffs and then uh Taguchi came out with a cardboard cylinder so yeah. he also had <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah that was funny uh moving on to the next team here uh O and 3 with 0 points the Rogue Army Bad Luck Fale and Jack Bonza night 2 they lost to Monster Sauce night 4 losing to Atlantis Jr and Soberano Jr and then on night six, they lost to Bishamon. One thing I forgot to mention during the match with Team CMLL, there was a miscommunication or a botch of sorts where it seemed like what was supposed to happen is uh, either Atlantis or I forget who it was, but the Luchadors were supposed to have put Jack Bonza up into a vertical suplex position. And then it looked like the other one was going to come off the top rope and cross body him. Uh, you know, while they all fell down together, but they tried to lift him up. They didn't get him up. And then that, that threw off the timing of the one that was on the top rope. And then they brought him up for a, for a suplex and then mistimed it and gave him a brain buster <laughs> before the other guy could jump off of the ropes. And then he started, and then Jack Bonza sits up to like sell it. And the other guy jumped on him on the ground and like bonked his head. Like it was pretty nasty, the whole thing. And I, yeah, it was uh, pretty funny, but uh, not funny. I mean, it could have been very dangerous. I'm glad nobody was hurt, hopefully. But, uh, the, the you know, the main thing here is I think Jack Bonds actually, well, first thing that was funny is uh, my girlfriend walked into the room and she saw me watching Tag League. She's like, that guy Fale, didn't they cancel him? Like, what is he doing? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I don't know. But, um, you know, Bonza is a guy that we've always heard a lot of great things about. I, I've had a lot of positive things to say about his work from my reviews of like Tamashi. And I think he fits in with the working level of the other competitors in the tournament. Um, you know, sometimes you see an outsider and you feel like they need to kind of get their feet wet, acclimate. I don't think he's a guy that really needs to acclimate. I think he's like pretty much a, a, a very well-rounded professional wrestler that's already sort of at that level and it's kind of in a certain sense of shame i guess that he's sort of saddled with bad luck Fale as his partner then again that is the way that he sort of got his entry into the tournament to begin with so i mean i guess that's just how it is but uh it, it could be worse i mean i've seen a i've seen other teams with with Fale over the years whether it was Ujiro or whether it was uh, Chase, 
you know, yeah, Chase Owens and and those teams kind of sucked. And really at this point, Folly's just going in there doing some of his big man stuff and Bonds is carrying most of the action and the matches really aren't that bad. They're they're picking up a lot of losses. So it could you could definitely do worse when it comes to Folly in a ta- in a tournament like this. Yeah, I think Bond has been good. Um, you know, I haven't seen a ton of his work, but there has not been so far. Nothing he's done has really like blown me away or uh, any kind of breakout of performance or anything like that. Um, but again, it's kind of like you mentioned, he's, he's stuck with Fale. Uh They're they're mainly in more of the opener matches. You know, he's kind of. Uh, doing a little bit of a, a comedy thing, a little kind of a goofy thing where, you know, in the the Monster Sauce match, he's doing the whole thing where he thinks he has control of Archer, and then, you know, Archer's standing behind him, and he turns around, and he, he's scared. So, uh, yeah, he, he's kind of stuck having to kind of do some of the bull club shooting again. He's kind of stuck having to carry Fale, and I think that's kind of um, not allowing him to fully show what he can do. Like, I feel like if he this was like a... You know, a new Japan Cup or some kind of singles tournament. I think people kind of get a, a better feel for what he could do. Uh, but uh, you know, he, he's trying his best. He's he's doing good. But yeah, having to be stuck with Fale in some of the shorter matches, I think doesn't do a whole ton of benefit for him. When I was uh, a teenager, or maybe even younger, uh, I had what was the game on PlayStation? The not. Um, it was WWF, but it wasn't the arcade game or in your house. It was the ne- was it Warzone? Yes, yeah, there there was yeah Warzone, yeah. Okay, yeah, that was like the first like three D game they had on PlayStation. I had Warzone, and I swear to God, I had a character named uh, Solid Snake <laughs> <laughs> that looked just like Jack Bonza, like literally, <laughs> like red bandana, all bald, big beard, same shit, same guy. Like I don't know. It's weird. Ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, moving on to the last team, Yuji Nagata, Minoru Suzuki. They are also 0-30-0 points, night two, losing to Team CMLL, night four, losing to Suji and Zanacon, and then night six, they lost to Taichi and Uemura. Yeah, uh... As I mentioned during the last block, they have the fire side chat with uh, Narita and Umino. They also have a video that's about the same length. They're both about 20 minutes. Uh, this one's called, I think, Him. Him, 40 Years of Hate. Yeah, Nagata and Suzuki. And it kind of details the history of their team as well as their feud against one another and it is eye-opening. And I mean, like, I've seen most of their matches. I know quite a bit of, about their history, but it, it's a lot more. Have you watched this, Jeremy? Not yet. I have it on my, my list to watch. Bro, you got to watch this. You've got to watch this. It is incredible. And um, so much so that, like, I'm like, damn, I, I kind of want Nagata and Suzuki to do better in this tournament. Right now, they're... <laughs> They're the dads who are just taking losses and they can't, they, they can't get on the same page and, you know, there's no cohesion there. And it definitely feels like we're not heading down a path of, you know, like for instance, Watto and Desperado gaining a modicum of respect for one another and, and sort of civility. No, like the <laughs> and Suzuki feel like they're going to head down 
a path to where they they have to go to war again. But bro, this this documentary it talks about like them in high school, them you know after the the New Japan UWFI split and Suzuki leaving and going to do Pancrase and all that, and then the genesis of their major feud in, in new Japan. And like some of the stuff that they said about each other, like, I don't know I, at the risk of sounding like a major Mark and maybe I'm being worked, but fuck, I believe them, bro. I believe <laughs> these guys really actually don't like granted. Could it be a situation where they're just kayfabing everybody? And they, at the end of the day, they go behind closed doors and have a beer and they're actually buddies. Sure. But this documentary really sold me on the idea that they fucking hate each other. And, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Like, and I like that in my wrestling where you can't really tell what is or isn't real. Like, because they, there's so much realism injected into the storyline. And like, at one point they asked Nagata, like if he would go to Minoru Suzuki's funeral and he was like, Yeah, I definitely it is check incredible. It out. <laughs> um, I did see the the comment Suzuki made in Tokyo Sports, and I know this is you know probably translated from you know Google Translate, but the gist of it was he goes, uh, "Nagata, your wrestling hasn't been updated for more than twenty years. I'm touring the world by myself. I'm on the cutting edge of wrestling. Your OS is out of date. You need to update. You have Windows ninety five. <laughs> thought that was hilarious. And see, I was a little behind before prior to getting to this tour and the one prior to it. So I didn't see the backstage promo where uh, Suzuki, you know, offered the team to, to uh, Nagata and they showed that and Nagata like broke down in like tears and it felt like very real. And like they, they did a great job with this uh, documentary kind of showcasing the history of, and the violence that they've enacted against one another prior to that moment. And then they built it back up to the end of the the documentary showing Suzuki kind of breaking down and offering a team to Nagata and Nagata crying. And I was like, damn, like it, it made me be like, I need to start paying more attention to these backstage comments. Cause like that was an incredible, that was an incredible segment. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are always talking about, you know, where's the storytelling, where's the promos, where the segments. Well, the backstage comments, they're, they're uploaded. They're on new Japan world. They put them on the YouTube channel. Like, uh, you, you watch this stuff and you'll, you'll get that extra, you know, quote unquote storytelling and promo that you want. Yeah. Every night though, Nagata and Suzuki are going out there and they're beating the fuck out of people. They're working their asses off. They're having great matches and they're losing, which is kind of what you expect from dads. But I'm also like, damn, I kind of want them to win. <laughs> right. And, and I feel like, because I love them. And I feel like this, like they, they could have beaten, you know, like, um, CMLL team, um, they could potentially they could have been like Penzanicon Junior. Like there are teams that they could potentially beat here. I, I'm not criticizing it. They're doing the right thing. It's fine. It's just me as as a fanboy of these two guys. I'm just like have them win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you but know, they are having a, a hard time coexisting. They're always arguing who's going to start, who's not going to start, and. You know, unlike some of the other, like, newer teams, there's not a ton of cohesion. Like, these guys are not busting out a bunch of, like, double-team moves. Like, they're slapping each other for their, their tags. And so, yeah, just 
lot of miscommunication, uh, just not being on the same page. It's kind of ultimately led to the downfall for uh, Blue Justice and Majora Suzuki. Still interested to see where it goes at the end of the day. So, you know, I think it's a great uh, addition and interesting addition to the tournament. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap up uh, the reviews of what happened last week. Now we'll take a dive. I did want to talk about one thing. There was an undercard match earlier on, I believe, today's show where it was Oiwa and Umino. Or I'm sorry, Oiwa and uh, Kiyomiya. And Kiyomiya teaming up with Oleg Bolton to take on um, Umino, Narita, and um, who's the uh, Luebe. And damn, bro, if I that felt like I was watching six future, like, big time stars in an early iteration of, of a match against one another. Like that, that was definitely an undercard match where I'd say, if you didn't see it, go out of your way to check it out. And the crate, one of the craziest things in the match, Oleg Bolton gets a, uh, like a gut wrench suplex on Narita. And then he transitions him side to side. We've been seeing him do this, but I counted it. He did it 15 times to Narita in this match before he released him in the suplex. Like, it's fucking awesome, but yeah, that I saw the clip of that because I know he did that to uh, you know Kojima earlier on, and yeah, he did to Narita. I was like, oh, it's the same thing. And he just kept going, kept going, kept going, kept going. I'm like, yeah, oh my gosh. And then yeah, he finally dropped him with a big uh, gut wrench suplex. Yeah, that that's a six man tag worth going out of your way to to check out. Honestly, it was really great, and like seeing Umino and Narita mix it up with Oiwa, but then you got. Oleg and Luebe there, and then obviously Kiyomiya is like a superstar. Like it was pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, run down the shows that are coming up this coming week that we'll review. So we have night seven coming up. Um, as you listen to this audio, probably uh, November twenty eighth. So we got uh, Fale, Gato, Bonza, and Ishimori against Bushi, Shingo, Suji, and Zanakon Jr. We got Master Wato, Suzuki, and Nagata against Phantasmo, Hikaleo, and Jato. Monster Sauce and Deguchi against Doki, Taichi, and Yuyu Mora. We'll have a CMLL team of Atlantis Jr. and Silverado Jr. teaming up with Tiger Mask to take on the Chaos team of Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi. And then we'll get into A Block action. The Gates of Agony will take on the Bullet Club War Dogs. United Empire will take on House of Torture. TMDK will take on Chaos in a semi-main event, and then the main event will be the Noah team of Kiyomiya and Oiwa taking on the Musketeers, Ren Narita, and Shota Umino. Yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to that match. Uh, I just sang the praises of the preview match from earlier on this on night six, so that one's going to probably rule. Yeah, we saw kind of the, the heat build up between Umino and Rita and Kiyomiya in the, in the G1 this year. And uh, we just kind of know just kind of the, the stakes of that rivalry of, you know, Kiyomiya being the, the ace of Noah and Umino and Rita fighting to be the new ace of New Japan. Um, so just kind of this generational cross promotional rivalry. So, yeah, that match should be a lot of fun. Um, the following day on the 29th, we have night eight of the World Tag League from Twin Messe. 
Shizuka. Uh, the opening evening match is the Gates of Agni teaming with Nakashima. Um, to, to, and which, by the way, Nakashima's been like the third man for Gates of Agony, and that's been pretty cool. And then uh, Oscar Luebe's been wearing like a red bandana every time he teams up with Monster Sauce. So <laughs> <laughs> some of these teams kind of picked their their young lion sponsors. But uh, yeah, uh, Nakashima and Gates of Agony taking on House Torture's Evil Show and Yujiro. Next match, we have Kiyomiya, Bolton, and Oiwa taking on TMDK's Fujita, Nichols, and Haste. Third match of the night, Bull Club's... Uh, Coglin, Kid, Ishimori take on the United Empire's Cal Newman, Great Okan, and Hanare. Fourth match of the night, Renarita, Taguchi, Umino, and Tiger Mask take on Chaos's Ishii, Yano, Yo, along with Master Wato. And then getting into the tournament action, we have B Block action as the Rogue Army takes on uh, Yotasuji and Xanacon Jr. Sixth match of the night, Minoru Suzuki and Yuji Nagata take on GOD. Seventh match of the night, Monster Sauce versus Just Five Guys. And then your main event, we have Team CMLL taking on Bishamon. Yeah, I think very interesting to put uh, that match as the main event there, two top CMLL guys and the uh, IWGP Tag Team Champions. That should be um, a fun matchup to look out for there. I think Monster Sauce against uh, Taichi and uh, Yumura is going to be another fun one as well. Especially since both those teams are undefeated. That's right. Somebody's O must go. So we'll get, uh, you know, somebody fully taking the lead here from that semi-main event. So then uh, moving on to night nine, December 1st, we got a show opening up with Fale, Bonza, and Ishimori against Phantasmo, Hikaleo, and Jado. Then we'll have Atlantis Jr., Sobrano Jr., and Tiger Mask against Doki, Taichi, and Yuomura. Master Wato, Suzuki, and Nagata against Monster Sauce and Gucci. Then the Chaos team of Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi teaming up with Bolton Oleg to take on Bushi, Shingo, Suji, and Xanacon Jr. Then we jump into A Block action. Gates of Agony take on House of Torture. Kiyomiya and Oiwa take on TMDK. Semi main event United Empire takes on the Bullet Club War Dogs. And the main event will be Ren, Narita, and Shota Umino taking on the Chaos team of Ishii and Yano. Yeah, um, taking a look at that card, and you said that was night nine, nine. correct? Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still all in on Narita and Umino. Them against Ishii and Yano should be very interesting. Um war dogs against united empire that's going to be very very hard hitting so yeah i think those top two matches really stand out uh from my estimation yeah and then um on saturday december the 2nd eddie and arena osaka night 10 of world tag league we've got uh nakashima and oscar teaming up to taking to take on uh bishamon or no i'm sorry not bishamon ishii and yano of chaos Second match of the night, Gates of Agony, along with Oleg Bolton, taking on the United Empire team, Newman, Okan, and Hanare. Uh, Coglin, Kid, Ghetto, and Ishimori Bull Club take on the House of Tortures, Evil Show, Kanemaru, and Yujiro. Cue the uh, Bullet Club Civil War hot <laughs> takes. <laughs> Fourth match of the night, Wato, Narita, and Umino taking on TMDK's Fujita, Nichols, and Shane Haste. And then uh, back to B-Block action. Fifth match of the night, G.O.D. versus the Rogue Army. 
sixth match of the night, Team CMLL versus Just Five Guys. Semi-main event, Suzuki and Nagata versus Monster Sauce. And then your main event, Bishamon versus Suji and Zandikon Jr. Yeah, another good card here. Um, definitely want to see the interactions between Suzuki and Archer. It's not often that they are on opposite sides of the ring, so that'll be uh, fun to see them mixing it up. Uh, yeah, Bishamon against Suji and Zandikon. That should be a great main event. We're seeing Bishamon kind of be back in more main events here. I think this is going to be their kind of trail back to uh, getting some wins to uh, get their point total up. And the match against uh, CMLL and Just Five Guys should be uh, fun as well. So then moving on to night 11, that's going to be December 3rd. Opening up with Fale, Bonza, and Ishimori against Doki, Taichi, and Yomura. Atlantis, Sobrano, and Tiger Mask against Phantasmo, Hikaleo, and Jado. Wato, Suzuki, and Nagata against Bishamon and Hanma. Monster Sauce teaming up with Oscar Luebe and Rizuka Gucci taking on Bushi, Shingo, Yotosuji, and Zanakon Jr. Then in the A block, we'll have the Gates of Agony taking on United Empire. We'll have Kiyomiya and Oiwa taking on Ishii and Yano. Semi-main event, House of Torture taking on the Bullet Club War Dogs. And then the main event, Ren, Narita, and Shoto Umino taking on TMDK. Yeah, that's... Uh... At this point right now, um, the top two tag teams in the block facing off against one another. It'll be interesting to see where their uh, point total stand by the time, uh, you know, night 11 takes place. But that will probably be a pivotal matchup in the tournament. Um, again, House of Torture versus Bullet Club War Dogs. You've got the interpromotional or interfactional aspect there. So that we'll see how that plays out as well. Yeah. And then um, finally, on night 12, December the 4th, uh, from Akria Himeji, uh, we have LIJ's Bushi and Shingo taking on the House of Torture show and Yoshinabu Kenemaru. Second match of the night, Kiyomiya, Oscar, and Oiwa versus the Gates of Agony along with Oleg Bolton. Third match of the night, Ishii and Yano along with Hanma taking on Callum Newman, Great Okan, and Hanare of United Empire. Fourth match of the night, Narita, Taguchi, and Umino versus the House of Tortures, Dick Togo, Evil, and Ujiro. Fifth match of the night, Bullet Club, Coglin, Kid, and Ishimori taking on TMDK's Fujita, Nichols, and Shane Haste. And then finally, back to B block tag team action, just five guys versus the Rogue Army to start. Team CMLL versus GOD. Semi main event, Suzuki and Nagata versus Bishamon. And then finally, Monster Sauce versus Suji and Zandikon Jr. in the main event. I have noticed Suzuki and Nagata in more of these semi-main event spots over the last few uh, nights, so maybe that will be leading to something very interesting. Yeah, maybe that's kind of their their comeback to uh, get a little bit more, you know, uh, better point total here. Yeah, but uh, a lot of nights... uh, you know, in, in just a week, we're going to be covering six, you know, more nights of, of uh, World Tag League action. So very, very much condensed tournament, very, uh, you know, tight schedule. And that's also got to kind of play into the kayfabe of recovery and how much these uh, these guys exert themselves and, and everything like that, because it's a very trying tournament. 
Yeah, they're not, um, they're not really getting a night off. Even the opposite night, a lot of those guys are still in the undercard stuff. So, yeah, definitely a long kind of uh, fast and furious tour for these guys. One last thing before we move on off the tournament. I wanted to touch base. Uh, so on November the 20th on the pre-show, we saw Oscar Luebe defeat uh, debuting uh, young lion Shoma Kato four minutes and 37 seconds. And then we never saw Shoma Kato come back on the tour for the rest of the tour. The other debuting young line, Katsuya Murashima, we saw him wrestle Nakashima on the 21st. We saw him wrestle Nakashima again on the 23rd. And then he wrestled Oscar Luebe on the 24th. And then Nakashima again on the 25th. All in losing efforts, you know, kind of around the five minute mark, essentially, night after night. Um, Jeremy, did you have any thoughts about? your first impressions from both of these guys. And did you think it was interesting that we're not seeing either of them announced for the remainder of the tour and that we only saw Shoma Kato the one time thus far? Yeah, I know uh, Chris Charlton had mentioned on commentary, there was a, a reason why Shoma uh, Kato was pulled from the rest of the tour. I forget if it was a sickness or an injury. Um, he, he did mention that. Um, but, you know, so far... I think they've been all right. They have kind of been putting these matches. They've been kind of quote-unquote pre-show matches, so they're not even been part of the main card for the matches that they have had. So it seems like New Japan is kind of easing them into you know, into live matches and kind of getting them ready. And maybe they're not 100% ready to be put on like the main cards and be put in some of these multi-man actions here. But, I mean, so far, I mean, again, it's kind of hard to – really judge it from five minute matches. I mean, it seems like they have all the basics down that you, you learn the dojo so far. I mean, they haven't really done anything to kind of different each other or stand out yet. Um, so looking forward, hopefully they'll have some more, you know, matches against each other and then also continue to face off against Oscar and Nakashima and both. Yeah. Uh, Murashima had tons and tons of discoloration all over his shoulder, chest and arm. And, you kind of have to figure and, and maybe and correct. I mean, if maybe that is actually like part of his skin pigmentation, I could be wrong. Um, and if that's the case, uh, you know, whatever. But I I was interpreting it as though that that was discoloration from like damage done to him in training. Yeah. So I was sort of I, I was like, damn, his arm and his shoulder and chest look fucked up. Like, um, hopefully he's good to go. Um the, the matches they were doing very basic for the most part. Most nights, the story was essentially go out there, chain a little bit. Then the the veteran guy will work a body part and you sell the body part. Eventually, you fire back up. You get a, a little bit of a fire up, maybe a drop kick, and then they finish them um, just to kind of see if they can do those things. Can they chain? Can they sell a body part? Can they come back a little bit? And then can they... Uh, you know, take the pinfall loss. And that's pretty much what we're seeing most nights. I think there was one, I don't remember which night it was, but there's one night where Murashima, because he wrestled again, like I mentioned, Nakashima so many different nights. They did uh, deviate from that that uh, formula a little bit and let him have a, a bit more offense and kind of work a more uh, even, you know, styled match. But for the most part, it was just them going out there and doing those basic things. So, um, at this point, 
you know, you can never say how it's going to turn out for young lions. We've seen young lions not even finish the program or even make it to graduation in the past. But, you know, even just from first initial, uh, you know, like your initial opinion of the wrestler, you never know how they're going to progress and, and turn out. It can be very different. Um, right now, I'm not raving about these guys the way we were about, like, say, Oiwa and Fujita when we first saw them. Those guys seem to be much more complete uh, packages from day one. And I'm thinking with Murashima and uh, Kato, they probably got a lot more reps to get in, a lot more uh, seasoning to you know and experience to gain. But they seem very competent at the very least, just from the basic things that they're doing, you know, there's a lot of independent wrestlers that can't do these basic things and they're doing them pretty well so far. Yeah. And speaking of basics, that's reminded me, I forgot a point I forgot to mention um, during the United empire versus Oiwa and Kiyomiya, there was a awesome like grappling exchange between Okan and Oiwa. And it happened the like Okan and Oiwa stuff was great. Yeah, and it, you know, normally you kind of start the match with this. But this was like towards the end of the match, and they're like, it pretty much broke out into like a, a, a freestyle, like Greco-Roman style matchup. They're both like between just them. Yeah, they're they're, they're shooting. They're trying to get takedowns. You know, they're they're exchanging uh, suplexes, and yeah, it was really awesome stuff. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, the stuff with Okan and Oiwa. Which, yeah, that stuff was great. I knew that'd be right up your alley. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, any final thoughts before we move on to the news? Overall, World Tag League, it's been good. There's a, a lot of nights to keep up with, but it's been really good stuff. Loving the new teams. Um, I think it's been going in a good direction so far. Yeah. Um, so let's jump into the news. So several of New Japan's biggest stars and current champions will be at Battle in the Valley in San Jose, which was announced for January the 13th. New Japan announced last Wednesday that Kazushika Okada, Will Ospreay, Shingo Takagi, Zack Sabre Jr., Eddie Kingston, Julia, El Fantasmo, and Hikaleo will all be on the show. So that's a, a, a much bigger lineup than many of the um, U.S. shows that we've seen recently from New Japan. So that's good. Yeah, and I know Will Ospreay there. So that, that kind of shows people that he's going to continue to work uh, throughout that February contract period, so still some time, folks, for uh, Osprey to do the uh, you know passing of the torch to somebody. And Zack Saber Jr. will be there, so you know Tony Khan can work on him a bit more before they sign him to AEW. <laughs> <laughs> um, the aforementioned documentary, him, Forty Years of Hate, Suzuki Nagata rivalry documentary, it is available now on New Japan's English YouTube site as well as on New Japan World. Check it out. Highly recommend it. Um, it was announced that Julia is going to be defending the NJPW Strong Women's title against Suzumi or AZM, as Mercedes <laughs> likes to call her, on uh, December the 2nd. And finally for the news, for the Fantasca Mania Tour from February 12th to February 19th, coming in from CMLL and announced are Mystico, Volador Jr., Teton, Atlantis Jr., Soberano Jr., Dark Panther, Stigma, Ultimo Guerrero, Hechicero, Rocky Romero, Templario, Stuka Jr., Akumura, Mascara Dorada, Pegaso, Brillante Jr., Magnus, and Defunto. Nice, nice lineup there. A little sad that uh, no Zandicon. Maybe uh, this uh, tour will 
change some minds and get him on that tour. But yeah, pretty solid lineup here. And uh, that's going to take us into some questions, and then we'll get ready to wrap things up. So uh, a few questions here from uh, Barry Walsh. So he says, first, so losing wrestlers in a lead commentator is not enough, so now we lose titles too. I suppose we effectively lost the U.S. title to AEW for a couple of years anyway. All anger aside, I'm surprised there's not one New Japan wrestler in the tournament considering it's a New Japan title. It's getting very deflating. Well... Yes, I, I agree with all that. But one thing, I, I, since last week when we spoke on the show and you kind of gave me the announcement of what the triple crown of AEW is going to be, I think we've gotten a bit more clarification about the actual uh, inner working. So a couple things. Like, I think most of what we announced last week was taken verbatim from like Eddie Kingston's promos and ended up not being correct about the way that, that the – Continental Classic is going to work anyways. So essentially my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, the New Japan Strong, Ring of Honor World title, and the AEW Continental title, these are not going to be, yeah, they'll be treated as a triple crown, but it will be like the J crown, essentially. Three titles that all exist and hypothetically could, down the line, be split back up if needed. Yeah, I mean, honestly, they have not really been clear about that. I think that's what they're going to do. But the, the That's t- what I was told by somebody. <laughs> can't say who, but that's kind of what was communicated to me. Yeah, but the titles are not on the line in every tournament matchup. Um, so, I mean, it seems... because yeah, Eddie already lost his first match. Yeah, yeah he lost to uh, Brody, Brody King this past weekend. Uh, and the titles are kind of sitting there next to the Continental title, so it, it kind of uh, it's unclear. Like, did he vacate the titles, or will he vacate if he doesn't make it to the finals? Not sure, but either way, he's not defending it every match. I think if he doesn't make it to the finals, then yeah, the title will be vacated off him, and it'll be awarded to the winner of the tournament. Yeah, but my, my understanding is that these are not being merged into a new title that will just always exist. And all three of them cease to exist. My understanding is that they exist similar to the J crown. Like the J crown champion was the champion of every single one of those titles they held. And then eventually it like dissolved when it was necessary, which is probably what we're going to see here. Yeah. Um, But I do agree with the criticism. I mean, like if you're going to have a new Japan title on the line, should probably be New Japan representation. Um, there's not, you know, it is, they are kind of swallowing up New Japan Strong's main belt, which is kind of shitty, but whatever. I don't want to get into the the Continental Classic stuff because I have so many things I could criticize about that <laughs> tournament that it would get fucking ridiculous taking <laughs> too much time. Uh, so he also says, uh, remember the TK meltdown about the WWE tapping up its wrestlers? Good times, good selective memory times. How do you rate the partnership at this date out of 10? Um, Probably like a 6 out of 10. Uh, I'd probably, I'm probably more like a, a 7, 7.5. Um, I mean, I think for Bed and Door, I was obviously the highlight of the partnership, and it's given us a lot of great pay-per-views and matches. Uh, I still think there are there are some cool things from the partnership. 
there's cool things, but there's a lot of negatives as well. And that's my gripe with it. And most of the cool things that I would like to see happen don't happen. And when they do, it's to the detriment of New Japan. So, yeah. And his last question says, uh, saw speculation. WWE wants to go for Okada. Is there anything left for him to do in New Japan? Long before I followed, I knew about the Rainmaker and read how good he was. I'm sure when he eventually retires, he would work for New Japan for life. But could he go to WWE for a payday before retiring? And that brings me back to my main question. With so many people knowing about him, but not possibly following NJPW, has he transcended New Japan in a way? I mean, in a way, yeah. But there's a lot of guys that have transcended new Japan in the sense of like they're, they have name value, but it doesn't mean that people are watching them or even actually value them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people had heard of Shinsuke Nakamura before he came to WWE, but did that translate to actually drawing once he got to the company? And Granted, there was an opportunity for them to have done something with him, and they squandered that opportunity time and time again. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, anything's possible. Could Okada go to WWE? I mean, there is a part of me that wonders if you're, you know, he brought in Will Ospreay to the company, and then to watch that guy get signed to AEW for a paycheck that's probably double reportedly what Okada's making as the top guy in New Japan, part of you has to wonder, with him getting older, and and I mean, this is going to be the pitch they make to him, with him getting older and having achieved everything that he's achieved in Japan, and with the new regime, and an easier schedule, an easier easier working style, plus like Shinsuke's already there, could WWE be something that he might set out for himself? And I mean, anything's possible. I'm not anticipating that, uh, but you just never really know. At the same time, Okada's a very wealthy man, married to a very wealthy wife, <laughs> in a very cushy position. So who knows? But in terms of like what what is left for that for him to achieve, not much, unless you know, in terms of personal um accolades, um, the one thing that he hasn't done that he would probably want to do is be the guy that that spearheads the the further growth of new japan on a more mainstream level than it already is yeah uh i would i would be surprised to see him go to be um you know his wife has a very you know great comfortable position in the country japan he just had a baby uh, you know, like like you mentioned, he has a job for life with New Japan. I think there's so many positive for him just staying in Japan and being a part of New Japan, then kind of just going over to AEW to do his, his American stuff. But again, you never say never in wrestling. But I would be surprised. Uh, next question from Discord Daddy. We kind of talked about this already. Early thoughts on the new Young Boys. Uh, anything else to add on those guys? No, I appreciate the question though. But yeah, we touched base on that. Uh, then a series of questions here from Def Triangle 720. First, is it a cultural thing that restricts New Japan from restructuring their shows? What I mean is shorter, big shows that are quality, not quantity. I wouldn't say it's cultural, but it is business related. You have to consider that this is not 
primarily a television product, but it's more so a live touring company that is, you know, basically aimed at entertaining the folks that are paying the tickets to come watch the show and they want to give them their money's worth. And if it was something where it was like, you know, um, NXT takeovers back in the day, two hours in and out, boom, 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 you know, and and it was just a, a streaming deal. That's one thing, but that's not what new Japan is. They're, they're a live touring company and they're trying to give people their money's worth. And, you know, Sure, they're sickos like us who watch every single show, but it's not necessarily intended for the audience at home to do that. Right. That's why a lot of times, like on long tours, you'll see them kind of doing some of the similar spots in the different cities because the whole point is for each city to kind of see what is happening, to see the character development, see these new moves, see the new teams. Um, essentially, I mean, it's they're structure is not really designed quote unquote for TV. Like you mentioned, it's designed for live event. They're trying to hit all the towns and I don't have a problem with big shows being long as long as they're great. You know, Russell kingdom year after year is what five, six hours long, but it's always a, a great show from beginning to end. So if you're going to have a, a long show, as long as it's great, I don't care. I do have critic criticism when it's overly long, like for some of the bigger shows, like for instance, uh, you know, I don't know, a couple, a couple big shows back. I don't remember what it was, but like when it's like over four hours, if it's not absolutely outstanding, I feel like that's too long personally. Um, and I mean, I kind of hold that position across the board in the industry. It's not just a new Japan thing. I feel that way about AEW pay-per-views and other big shows. Like when it's, four or five hours for a major show if it's really great like if it's like you know top of the line wrestle kingdom style i really won't complain too much but when it's when there's a lot of mid in the middle of that that's where i'm like this didn't need to be this long three hours is perfectly fine you know what i mean yeah which i don't know i feel like new japan times stuff out pretty good like power struggle was long but you had that epic like will osprey Umino match was almost an hour long. There have been some shows of theirs that have gotten to the four hour mark where I didn't feel like they needed to be four hours. But at the same time, you know, um, yeah, we are, you know, consumers, but we're not the only consumers and we're not the direct market for this product regardless. Yeah. Also asked, do you guys think it's time for New Japan to just kill the Finley push and move someone like Gabe Kidd into the top heel position? No, because they already announced Finley for <laughs> can't kill it now. You gotta you gotta see go it through. through with it. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, we've made our, our feelings about David Finley very clear at this point. I mean yeah, I mean, I, I said the, the new year is all the time to reevaluate, but yeah, he, he's booked for the dome, so he, there's no killing it now. Yeah, how are we going to kill it now? <laughs> <laughs> Man's booked. Uh, also asked, when Hiroshi Tanahashi retires, should they do what Muto did and make it a big show like a Wrestle Kingdom event? I mean, who knows when that will be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I think Tanahashi is deserving of all the love, praise, and adulation 
Yeah, I think a, a Tanahashi Bye Bye Tour would, would be a huge hit, and that you could potentially do, yeah, another Tokyo Dome show in the middle of the year, all revolving around him. Also asked, if Kaito stayed with New Japan, do you think a feud between uh, Gabe Kidd and Kaito would be a big match on a pay-per-view? I think it's a big match no matter where it happens at this point. It sounds like it's probably going to take place in Noah, I'm assuming. But yeah, Yeah, I think think it's a big match. It sounds like January January 2nd Noah show. It's probably going to happen. I mean, I would put it on the Tokyo Dome January 4th, but um, putting it on the, the Noah show January 2nd would be a big deal, too. That match is going to, yeah, plus uh, we didn't mention it in the news, but they announced the, the match with Tanahashi. Oh, yeah. I forget who, what is, it's a tag team match. Tanahashi's teaming up with uh, um, somebody. Yeah, yeah it's like a, it's like a old, olds on top. Um, yeah, it's Zack Sabre Jr. teaming up with uh, Yoshinari Ogawa to take on Hiroshi Tanahashi and somebody else. I don't know who. Was it Kojima? Uh, no, I don't think it was Kojima. Was uh, it Muhammad Yone? Somebody like that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to see if I can find it real quick. Uh, In many ways, that match is a preview match. It's taking place on the January 2nd Noah show as a preview to their Wrestle Kingdom match. Yeah, I can't find it, but yeah, that match is happening. It's happening. Yep. There's people in it. <laughs> Um, let's see. Then he says, with uh, 10 World Tag League shows left and two Road 2 shows left, do you see any sort of big angles to do before Wrestle Kingdom? Um, yeah, I'm sure there will be. Uh, I don't know how big they will be. Most of the shows already announced, but I, I, I'm sure there will be some story forwarding angles of some sort. Yeah, I think definitely look out for uh, World Tag League Finals. I'm sure there'll be some kind of angles and heated moments there. Then, yeah, Road to Tokyo Dome will will be kind of like the the go-home shows into Tokyo Dome. So I'm sure there will be stuff that, you know, more matches will get added. There will be angles heating up the matches already announced. Um, Then his last question says, hypothetically, if Finley doesn't win at Wrestle Kingdom, what would be the next move going forward? Well, I don't think he is going to win, to be honest with you. And uh, the next move going forward is to, um, in classic Bullet Club style, one of two things, either brush it off and pretend like the loss never happened and take aim at some new goal or some new opponent and try to get into a feud there and, you know, maybe get some momentum going into the, uh, into the new year at like new year's dash or, you know, going into new Japan cup in the latter part of the quarter, or we could see a classic bullet club ousting. Yeah. Um, it could be, and uh, there's been rumors, I know before Finley, Want to go WWE? Seems like they're starting to assign more people now. Um, so yeah, you, you could have something come New Year Dash where he comes out and he's you know doing the whole thing. You know, I want people to bring bodies and titles, and then he says bring bodies, and then all the war dogs just look at him and beat the crap out of him. <laughs> uh, then uh, last two questions here from Viking Pain. He says, with WWE being the hottest promotion in the world right now, especially with the return of CM Punk. Did New Japan make a mistake when they chose to partner up with AEW instead of WWE? 
AEW's ratings are dropping, their attendance are at a record low, and Tony Khan's cocaine-induced booking has been helter-skelter. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess. Uh, well, I mean, as opposed to what? Like, what, what would have been the alternative that would have been so beneficial to New Japan professional wrestling, teaming up with WWE? Yeah, it would that, be that would that would spell disaster. It'd be similar or worse situation. It'd be it'd be much it'd be a much much worse situation. Yeah, um, that, that there would be little to no upside in doing that, um, and it 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 actually could pose actual true blue harm to the viability of the promotion in the country and the and their future. Like, no, everybody that that like quote unquote partners up with wwe they go out of business right look do your history do your research look at every (laughs) promotion that has worked with wwe oh yeah we're gonna work together we'll do a talent exchange and then next thing you know they're taking over their territory nxt japan happens like yeah if they partnered it, it would potentially be like the end of new japan here's a few other things too and i'm not wrestlenomics or anything and if I'm not an AW, you know, fanboy either, but I mean, you know, saying their record that their ratings are dropping is like, well, yeah, to a certain extent they are, but they also do extremely well on Wednesdays. The Wednesday numbers are very strong. They very often win the night and they're usually in top five for the week in television. So for cable. So I, I don't really, see how that is a bad thing and then it's like uh their attendances are at a record low it's like well yeah they're not as hot as they were when they first started but history will tell you any company that's averaging over four thousand, you know per show you know and like annually all throughout the year that's very successful historically speaking like for for all companies we're talking about new japan wwe wcw all the territories like those are good numbers now could it be a lot better and could things be improved yeah but like a lot of these uh arguments just i don't know they just ring of like cornetism or tribalism they're not like actually rooted in reality of what's happening in the fact that this company's making a lot of money um you know, there's certain things that definitely need to change. I think the booking has been kind of all over the place and definitely needs something needs to change there for sure. And and I'm cold on the product personally, but, you know, let's not pretend like the world, the sky is falling because AEW is doing 4,000 average attendance per show and, you know, winning the night very often went on Wednesdays, most, most weeks, like they're doing good business. Yeah, like you mentioned, yeah, they're they're top five pretty much every week, uh, all of cable. Uh, so yeah, also yes, it would be great to them be doing ten thousand every week and a million every week. But yeah, they're they're still doing pretty good um, against a company that has like a forty year head start. Yeah, the other thing too is like with WWE being the hottest promotion. I mean, I don't know, like, are they? <laughs> like. You know, like earlier at the end of last year and stuff, like in the earlier part of this year, they were their business was very doing really, really well. But, uh, you know, there has been a softening in their numbers lately. 
Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I, if I, I'd call them the hottest company in the world. I know they just got Punk back and they got Orton back, but again, I, I already saw some tweets today. People were complaining about the three-hour Raw. It's like, yeah, you're, you're going to have all the buzz in your world you want, but are you going to sit through and watch three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown? I mean, I guess from a, a number standpoint, they probably are technically like the hottest promotion, but I don't know. I feel like CMLL is maybe maybe has an argument to be in that category as far as like you know buzz and business they're doing really really good business every single week with their friday night shows and then their uh, some of their other midweek shows are also doing really well so i don't know yeah then his last question he says yes yes young boy let the aw hate flow through you the Continental Classic is stupid, and the Triple Crown idea is also stupid, especially since no New Japan guy, not even one from Strong, is in the tournament while AEW and ROH have representatives. Even the Super J cast guys don't like the idea, too. Join us, young boy. Forget about Jeremy and AEW fanboyism and embrace the hate. Well, I, I, I wasn't going to talk about it, but he asked the question, so maybe I should just dive into my gripes about the Continental Classic, right? So here's the funny thing. We're at the end of the show anyway, so we got some a little bit of time to talk. Earlier this year, I, I don't recall if it was this year or maybe the tail end of last year, but I started toying around. I, Me and Rich, oftentimes, Rich, what's up, Rich, from One Nation Radio, we'll talk about different ideas and things. And I was telling, we were kind of both, talking about how we'd like to see a round robin style tournament in AEW and what kind of um, fueled that discourse was the distaste we both have for the way that most of their single elimination men's tournaments have played out where you usually have one side sort of stacked and then the other side very soft but generally speaking there's only a couple stars in the whole entire tournament. You kind of know who those guys are and they end up going to the finals anyways. And usually it's like for a title shot or whatever. And there's so many people that shouldn't be in a tournament like that when, especially when they used to have the rankings, it just kind of didn't make sense. So um, we started talking about what if they did around Robin and my idea, and I feel like my idea of how they should have done it is exactly what they should have done. My idea was you take the, eight best guys that they have that that are viable for a tournament like this and just kind of give you a frame of reference when we were talking about the tournament at the time the best guys in in terms of kayfabe would have been like cm punk mox brian danielson kenny omega hangman adam page adam cole y2j and like mjf right those would be your eight guys and my idea was that the North American audience that are not used to seeing a round robin style tournament would benefit from having a condensed version of that tournament play out over just a week. So if you did two blocks of four, that gives you each guy's got to wrestle three times. So you do one night on Wednesday, you do the second night on Saturday, and then on the Sunday is the pay-per-view and you do the finals and everybody wrestles their block matches and then the final two guys who win the blocks wrestle in the main event and that would be the the concept you do one week of your eight best wrestlers 
all wrestling each other on primetime television and then on pay-per-view and you basically build it up as like this major major tournament for all the best guys and it's very short condensed so people don't lose you know their attention span you get huge ratings because you're doing big matches like you know mox and kenny and danielson mjf or whatever the fuck you want to do and then you build it up to a a major pay-per-view final and then that kind of establishes the tournament that was my idea of how they should have done it but there's a lot of issues with what they've decided to do here like aside from the politics people not wanting to lose people not wanting to do jobs people not you know them them not announcing the tournament field because they couldn't announce it until like a few hours before because they couldn't lock down the field and the the winner of the tournament not getting an actual AEW title shot but instead they're kind of like saddled with a secondary prize meaning like why would they even want to do this tournament if it doesn't catapult them to title like to an actual title shot instead they get sidelined which is fucking stupid and then considering how deep the roster of aew is top guys should be in this now there are a few top guys and everyone in it is a very very talented wrestler but the reality is what makes the g1 the g1 is all the top guys are in it you could even argue hypothetically for comparison's sake that this might in some ways be deeper of of a group of talent for the continental classic than some of the guys that have been chosen to be in the the g1 recently but kayfabe is kayfabe and in new japan's kayfabe their best wrestlers including their world champion is in their tournament and in the continental classic their best wrestlers are by and large not in the tournament so the tournament itself is less important they also have too many guys in the tournament i think that the western audience really is not used to seeing this type of tournament they've done it over too many dates and i think people are going to get confused and probably lose interest especially since the stakes are for the roh title which basically doesn't mean anything on tv the strong title which doesn't mean anything and the continental title which doesn't exist anyways and then they're all getting lumped up to i guess what they're thinking is something that's the greater some of its parts but the whole reason that the triple crown title mattered in all Japan is was the long, lengthy, lofty um, history of the belts being combined. And this tournament doesn't have that. Uh, so the other thing too, AW definitely doesn't need another men's singles title whatsoever. So, you know, what is the point of adding another title when you already have so many other titles that, already take up space whether it's the tv title the tnt title the all atlantic title yada 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 there's too many so there's just a lot of things that to me that just don't make sense there are some things i like about the tournament i like the three points for a win versus the one point for a draw that differential but also kind of tells me that they're going to do draws to kind of like even the points up um i love the idea of aw oh another thing that's stupid telling the fans that there's not going to be any interference when there already should be a rule that there's not that interference is not allowed in wrestling matches to begin with what they should have done is just not announced that and then just treated it seriously not had any interference and then you would like be like oh this fucking matters but because you're like telegraphing it and telling us and then tony khan and who knows i i I didn't listen to the actual context of him saying it but 
hearing him quoted as saying like, you know, for the hardcore fans, put your money where your mouth is that, that fucking sucks because you're acting like the wrestling fans, the hardcore wrestling fans aren't already watching your television, buying your merchandise, paying, buying your, your video games, paying for tickets to go to your show, buying your pay-per-views like, fuck you, dude. Like you're the promoter. You're not supposed to tell us to put our money where our mouth is, especially since we already are doing that. Like that fucking sucks. There's a lot I don't like about this tournament. I, I don't like that the best guys aren't in it. I don't like that the prize at the end isn't a title shot. And I don't like the format of how they've decided to do it. It just doesn't make sense. At the end of the day, though, it's a lot better than the Bruchacho stuff. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, a better for their programming. I don't have a problem with the amount of guys and how long they're doing it. I think, but if they were going to do this, I think the key would have been promotion. They should have thought about this months ago and be like, all right, we know we're doing the Continental Classic after full gear in November. We know that Western audiences aren't used to around Robin. So months ahead of time, we're going to announce this tournament. Every week, we're going to do a profile on each specific contender. We're going to continue to explain the rules, how the format's going to work. We're going to hype this thing up. We're going to have, you know, that, you know, that YouTube show they did literally hours before Dynamite. That that should have happened before. Like, they should have made this a big event. That's the reason why we we love G1. You get the names in July. You, you get the press conference. You get the pictures. There's so much press and media and interviews and hype that happens before even the first match. That's what they should have done. They should, but of course, you know, with the whole kind of last minute booking, this was more of a reactive thing to the criticism, the criticism of them being more, you know, sports entertainment based lately and a lot of the brochacho stuff. So this was kind of a, a last minute. Well, let's prove to that to the hardcore fans that we're still sports based. Let's do this, you know, round robin tournament. And, um, but they shouldn't be reactive. This should have, this should have been thought out. Months ahead of time, this should, this should have been booked out, promoted. They could have right. made it's a really big deal. And with the amount of TV they had, I think the amount of people in it works. So you can promote stuff for, all right, Dynamite, this big match is coming up. Rampage, this is coming a collision. And, and build it all up till you get to your tournament finals. And I agree. I think there could have been some more bigger names in there. There are some big names. But, yeah, you know, there could have been some. You know, why isn't Takeshita in this thing? You know, there's some other names that they've been pushing that could have been uh, in this tournament. And again, I agree with you too, with uh, the, the top prize. I mean, this should have been the winner of this should have gotten a title shot yep. at, at the following pay-per-view instead of creating this whole secondary triple crown thing. Well, if you're a diehard, you don't want, uh, unless, unless you're a fan of like, for instance, if you're an Eddie Kingston fan and you already don't believe that he can win the real title anyways, then you want him to win because it's it's a runner-up prize and it's the best you can hope for. But if like let's say if you're a fan of Swerve, right? Who just had a, a crowning achievement of a of a you know that match with Hangman and he's on the come up, you don't want him to win this thing because it sidelines him and it takes him out of the title picture. And why would you want that for a guy that you're actually sitting behind, you know? Um, and that's that's one of the detrimental things. I, I do agree with you, Jeremy. I don't think there's anything wrong with them having this many competitors in this length. My problem with it is I don't have faith in them to execute it at this point in time. I think that 
a shorter, smaller field is more feasible for them to actually carry it out the first time to get people acclimated to it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easier for the fans to digest as well. And then you can expand it as time goes on. But, you know, you you already made it harder on yourself having to fill this many spots with this many guys and, and the booking. I mean, booking around Robin's not easy. One other thing that I now I don't agree that they needed New Japan talent involvement. I mean, the, the reality is how deep that roster is. The, the, the real shame isn't that there's no New Japan. It's that they, they don't have their top stars in there. Jericho's not in this. Kenny Omega's not in this. Uh, is Hangman in this? No, Hangman's not in it. Hangman's not in Takesh it. Takesh not in it. Pac's not in it. Pentagon Jr., Ray Phoenix. Kota Ibushi. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that could have been in, excuse me, could have been in this that are not in it that uh, would have elevated the 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 hype and the anticipation and everything. And it's like, I, I think like, you know, Brody King and Mark Briscoe are like, and Andrade, fantastic wrestlers, world-class guys. But in the kayfabe of the company, they're not top-tier talent. And so the, the tournament matters less because of that. Um, another thing, though, that is detrimental to New Japan is like with how injury-prone Brian Danielson is, and he's slotted for a January 4th Tokyo Dome date and, uh, you know, reportedly has a broken orbital bone, and he's going to wrestle six times, seven times in in these couple months leading up to that Tokyo Dome date. Like, what are the chances that he's going to be completely unscathed coming out of this tournament and good to go in a major spot at the Tokyo Dome. That seems negligent in my opinion. Um, not in the sense of like, you know, that he shouldn't be allowed to do this. Of course he should, but like he should be like just chilling till January 4th at this point, just to make sure that he makes the date. And instead they're putting him in, in, in matches where, you know, he's going to go hard mm-hmm. and given his track record, uh, the chances that that match might not happen on January 4th are very high, in my opinion. And that's also, you know, got me questioning, why are we doing this? Yeah, I think that would be yeah, definitely a bigger issue. And yeah, why couldn't this wait until the new year after Wrestle Kingdom? Um, yeah, because, yeah, Brian is injury prone right now. And yeah, his broken or- orbital bone hasn't fully healed yet. And yeah, he's about. He's probably going to be wearing a face mask, and he's going to be going out here wrestling Eddie Kingston and Andrade and Claudio. He's going to wrestle his ass off, and he's going to, you know, he's going to go hard because that's what he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot I don't like about this uh, tournament. Like, there's just a lot, and 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 most of it's because of what I what I would like it to be, what it could be. It could be like the western g1 and it should be and it's not and that's what sucks about it yeah but i'm not gonna but you know guys like i I don't just blindly hate AEW. like you know what i mean like AEW is like there's a lot that i like about AEW. i mean it's given us literally like the best western weekly episodic television in the history of north america and some of the some of my favorite matches and moments of the past like three or four years have taken place in that company. Granted, there's a lot I don't like that's going on in the company right now, and I'm not even watching it, but you know, I don't I don't just blindly hate it. Yeah. And you know, people might want to call me AW fanboy, but I don't know. Uh it's something that, you know, it gave us an alternative in twenty nineteen and 
you know, I, I sat through 30 plus years of bad WWE booking. I, I can give them a little bit longer, give them a shot, you know, companies. Not me. <laughs> Not me. I don't got the, I'm, you know, I, I've been, I've been tuning up. I'm trying to figure out how the schedule works and everything, but like, I, I'm, I'm serious about this. I'm jumping into CMLL, bro. I'm jumping into Friday nights. Peligro, Peligro. Peligro, so. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm doing it. Because, you know, I was listening to One Nation Radio last week and like James was like, there are people out there that are going to be looking for an alternative from the alternative. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's me. I'm looking for an alternative from AEW because it, they're not giving me what I want right now. And like, you know, also, I didn't like that, I, bro. And this is not a bad faith thing. It's just the reality. I did not like. I I did. I thought the match was fantastic, but I did not like that spot with the drinking of the blood and the staples. Like, and if if you look at my track record, I've never liked that sort of stuff in, in professional wrestling. Like, there's a reason I don't watch like, you know, CZW and Juggalo Championship Wrestling and <laughs> GCW with the fucking, you know, syringes and people's cheeks. Like, I don't like that shit. Yeah, I think I mean the match would have been incredible without. The, the, you know, the, the match was incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, I went five stars on it. Uh, so did Dave. I mean, it's it's an incredible matchup. But they shouldn't be doing that when they have executives and they're in a renegotiation year. Just saying. Yeah. Plus, plus it made me sick. I hate it. <laughs> Bro, I, I, have a, I have an aversion to, like, drinking blood. Like, I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> not Not a fan of the brood. Well, that's not real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, this is gonna be a. It's gonna be interesting to see what the people that stuck around are say about this segment. <laughs> Most of them are probably gonna be like, "Amen, Josh. Get him. <laughs> Screw AEW." <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, uh, that's gonna wrap it up for this week. Uh, like I said, maybe we'll maybe we might have Walker on next week, but be on the lookout for that. We'll have that rescheduled sometime in the near future. Uh, but for sure, we will be reviewing uh, World Tag League uh, night seven through twelve and getting ready for the conclusion of that. And we'll also be working on uh, finalizing our award categories. So uh, probably in the next week or so. Uh, we'll be dropping the ballot for our annual year-end award, so be on the lookout for that. Always a fun time for award season and uh, getting those uh, nominees in and seeing what everybody's voting for. Yeah, I have a, on the 22nd of December, so the Friday before Christmas, I will be taking my final licensing exam, Series 65, which is a big fucking exam. Um, so, you know, I'm doing it, guys. I'm studying for that shit, and I'm watching all of this shit so that we can do this show for you people. So You people. <laughs> put you your know, money so where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. If you like give this some, show, you like, you like this, this show, show, give us some fucking money. You're, you think you're a hardcore KISS fan? <laughs> put your money but, where your mouth is. <laughs> but uh, I know Jeremy's been working on the, the awards. I've, I've done nothing for the awards yet. I'll have to jump into that. We're hoping to have that out too by, I think our goal is December the 9th. Um, so, yeah. And then aside from that, this weekend, we will be on Saturday, December 2nd. It ca- kind of came together very quickly. 
we're doing the FOH draft. So um, we don't have details yet about when we'll be releasing that, but I know a lot of you are definitely looking forward to that's one of our most popular uh, podcast episodes of the year for the network. And uh, yeah, we're going to get it together. So it's a very exciting time. End of the year, got new shows and uh, you know, Russell Keenum is just around the corner. Yeah. So yeah, be on the lookout for that. Yeah. We'll, we'll drop details for FOH uh, once that gets recorded and yeah, we'll put it out once again on the, on the, on the pay hip. Yeah. It's definitely yeah, one of the hottest podcasts of the year. So you'll definitely want to make sure yeah, you, you put your money where your mouth is for that and uh, tune in for yeah, that. Yeah. One thing is like, we're recording it either in the morning or afternoon, hard to say, but we're not doing it late at night. Like we normally do, but I still plan to get completely tanked and sloshed. But the funny thing is like, we have a, a family game night with friends of the family <laughs> later that evening. <laughs> and I think like, I think the time from like when we are, you know, tentatively planned to be done versus when that family is like an hour. There's like an hour difference. I'm going to be like so fucked up. <laughs> well, it's okay because it's like, it's not a, fa- okay. When I say family game night, we're talking about all adults here and everyone's going to be drinking anyway. So normally, you know, people are imbibing, but I don't normally get drunk when I at these things, but I'm going to show up drunk. Like, so <laughs> Depending on how drunk I am, I mean, maybe I'll have to sit it out. I don't know, but uh, you know, uh, one thing is, regardless of when the show actually drops, we, you know, we're going to be recording that Saturday, but we're going to be back here on Monday. And the Monday after FOH, I always <laughs> feel so shitty, and I'm always like apologizing preemptively for the things that I didn't set on the FOH draft. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so if we if we do have Walker on the show next week, after, and, and like, and I still have my two day hangover, it's gonna be very interesting. <laughs> oh man. Well, yep. Yeah, so that's gonna wrap it up. So make sure you connect with us on social media on X. We are at Ki Strong Style. You can follow the, the network at Social Suplex. Follow me at Jeremy L Donovan on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also find us on the wrestling squared circle facebook group join our discord channel social suplex podcast network on instagram follow us at social suplex on reddit i am the pro black guy i'm just keeping a strong style you can email me jeremy at social suplex.com check out all the other shows that we have here on the social suplex podcast network one Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Simowitz. Imps WWE Adventure with the implications of Matthew Mayer. And Wrestling Art with Chris Things. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style. The Ace of podcasts. It's your bun. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.